to Point of Origin, episode 34, the podcast where this show clearly doesn't know what kisses look like. Yeah. I, I guess I yeah. guess that explains the awkward move-in on the make-out in family, right? Oh dear, yeah. I, I vaguely mentioned this uh, last episode where the opening scene kind of looked like the intro cutscene of a PS2 game. Oh, God. <laughs> well, it looks like a video game entry sequence kind of thing. What I meant by that is everything's always like a little extra choreographed in those moments. You know, it's always a little too slow, a little too not quite natural. Yeah. You know, like the way Martouf walks up to Sam and goes, quickly, you must dial the chapa eye quickly <laughs> jalanar you know it's always like really extra and i get it you know i'm not really complaining about it that's why i didn't complain about it last episode uh yeah. but yeah it's these kinds of moments just it, it's a very common kind of thing to see where for example here with the kisses it's just everything's a little extra like too much so telegraphed out yeah and so everything's just not quite right and obviously this is a TV show, but at the same time, you're supposed to be acting. So, like, that family moment, you know, with the awkward makeout. It's like, come on, guys, you can do a little better here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, to be fair, like, this is an instance where I'm like, I'm glad you didn't know what a kiss was. Well, yeah, to be fair, I a kiss wasn't an accurate statement. some person he's never met before. <laughs> right, that could be a little weird. It's, it's funny, like, the, their word choice falls into my uh, mild complaint here with the Telegraph everything. It's just that you'll say something like, yeah, we ha it has to be done by kiss. And then you very clearly, three seconds later, don't kiss. Yeah. So it's like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird half complaint. All right. So uh, today we are covering season two, episode 12, The Tokra Part Two. And it's written and directed by the same people, Jonathan Glasner yep. and Brad Turner. You know what? Good. Good for them, because they both did a better job this time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like it isn't explainable why part one wasn't good it, they had a lot to set up yeah but obviously that isn't really an excuse for the no. level of just ugh. but yeah i mean it's, it's nice to know that it's nice to have it reaffirmed that these people aren't you know bad at their jobs right because this job uh this episode was i mean i, I wouldn't call it you know like their best ever effort obviously but it's definitely much better mm-hmm uh but yeah so the synopsis the official oh, synopsis for this episode Let's see if it's any better than ourselves. the last one. We need to introduce ourselves. Oh, right. <laughs> I love that you're the one doing that now. Uh, yeah. I'm Mel. <laughs> and I'm Liz. And the synopsis for today's episode, the official one, is the Tok'ra are desperate for hosts to house their spirits. Their spirits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is with what? the people who I write these? I don't know. <laughs> I know. I, like, I, seriously, I was thinking the exact same sentence. What is with them and their word choice? <sighs> Especially because... The next episode is called Spirits. I know, right? That's so weird. I love Spirits. Spirits? I remember liking it, but it's one that's, like, so odd to me that I can never really remember all the details of it. But yeah, it is interesting, their, their word choice here, considering how the next episode's called Spirits. It's like, is the word stuck in your head there or something? I don't know. Uh, so the Toker are desperate for hosts to house their spirits so they can continue fighting the gold. Carter's father, who is dying of cancer, has nothing to lose by volunteering his body. But will they die during the transference, or does fate have something else in the store? Okay, so the synopsis for part one was about Jolinar. Yes. Not about part one. The synopsis for this is about the last five minutes of this episode. What are they doing? I, yeah, I got nothing. I, I, I don't, I, I'm, 
I mean, I'm kind of confused sometimes by this little booklet because it's kind of... I was always under the impression that a synopsis should, you know, give a basic idea of what the episode's about, but shouldn't give away the... whatever the episode has as a giveaway, a twist yeah. or whatever, any potential, like, major plot elements. It's meant to be, like, a, an intro summary. Uh-huh. I've noticed that in this booklet, it, they don't really do that as much. No. Um, they tend to just give away whatever it is. And it's like, a part of me is like, oh, well, maybe it's just because like, the show came out so long ago and that booklet does come with like a collector's edition. So maybe they're like, assuming you already have, you know, seen them and they, that you don't care. Mm-hmm. But it's also a weird assumption to make. Yeah. I, I don't really know what the plan was, but it feels like, as we've mentioned a few times over, they didn't really know what they were doing on these synopses. No, no, they didn't. So yeah, uh, that's, that's all for the prep yeah. part of this episode. Uh, we do start off with another previously on. This time there is. This one is, again, yeah, this one's, I, I will allow this one because it's much like the opening for episode one of season two, where it's the second half of a two-parter. You're supposed to give previously on some of those. Yes, yes, yes. It was so just I an odd choice that, for And they even have Teal doing the previously on voice. So it falls into the same pattern. It was a questionable choice in last episode to have that weird flashback sequence that wasn't a previously on, even though it yep. basically was. Mm-hmm. Then to have the episode open with another flashback. It was odd. There were mistakes. We've already covered that. Oh, yeah. This episode, thankfully, they seemed to understand what they were doing this time. Yeah, my only complaint about this previously on is how unnecessarily overdramatic the background music is. I didn't even catch that. There's, like, these... Parts of it are fine, but then there's these parts that go like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> just like, what, what, what? You know how I get through those moments, honestly, is, remember how when Inception came out and everything became Inception noises? The mwah. Yeah, that shit. It's funny whenever I'm not the one who gets super irritated about something, <laughs> but I was never really that irritated in those trailers. Every time I hear the Inception music, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Tomorrow it'll be sky beams, and then eventually it'll be some other stupid trend, you know, moving on. But as a result of it, there is still, like, a slight thing in my head about it. So I think, this is totally a guess, but I think subconsciously those old music and everything, I feel like it probably didn't register to me as much anymore because I was, oh, yeah, I remember the days when music just used to be regular or dramatic <laughs> instead of just, <laughs> or Or something else entirely, like just being oblivious, and I just didn't. I don't know. I just thought it was like, it was like, you know, not that much action happened in these episodes. This is maybe not the right previously on for this. Maybe they realized too little too, little too late that they're at part one sucked and they're like, well, this, you know what? I bet no one watched it because it was so bad. So they'll tune in for part two and then we can make them think that they missed out on something. Sure, maybe. Uh, so... The episode opens. Yeah, the episode opens and they're all still like, hump, you know, humped together in one room. And Jack uh, is finally connecting the dots that they're prisoners. Uh-huh. I mean, he was accusing them of being, of them right. being prisoners from the but gang. This, this is honestly more of a, a writing criticism, honestly, because it's like, I'm sorry, you opened with him once again asking if they're prisoners. It's like, did you not pay attention to your own episode that you did before? Where he was asking it before they even technically were prisoners. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, just, I love how he's finally connecting that, those dots. Uh, but they basically are like, hey, can you at least give us a firm answer about why you would, you turned us down for the Alliance? And shock of all shocks, oh, we don't think you have interesting enough technology uh, to be worth it. And I, the fucking ego oh, of I this know. woman. 
when uh, Daniel's like, oh, well, maybe we can find some. And she's like, I don't believe it exists. Like, there's not better technology than the technology we already have. I was like, are y'all sure you're not gold? And then right after I wrote that note, Jack's like, hmm, really? Sounds like a gold kind of thing to be saying right now. <laughs> Tried to think about it as, like, you know, from a tactician standpoint. I was like, well, you know, to be fair, they're centuries old. Maybe they've had so much time to, like, look around that they have a general idea of, like, what's out there. Like, maybe they even know about, like, for example, the Tolan, but no, you know, stay away from them. Yeah. Who the fuck knows? It could, it could be said that this isn't so much arrogance so much as, like, I mean, I mean I've been alive for 200 years and I haven't found shit, so I'm <laughs> guessing there's nothing. I mean, it's still egotistical and arrogant, because, you know, it's just assuming a whole lot. Uh, it's also hypocritical, because they stole technology from the ancients in the first place. Y'all gonna act like yeah. you're, like, really that advanced when your main technology was stolen in the first place and you don't think another group can come up with something you might need? I actually really like that you said that because it reminds me um, this episode does have one really good moment in it where it's a little later but Sam does I don't want to give anything away so she does mention that it appears that whoever built the gates built them for humans or close enough to humans um, mm -hmm. that's why they seem to go on planets that are habitable and this I feel like is actually the could be a point to the, you know, the writers because it could be their first attempt at the little They're seed starting. yeah exactly a little seed of what will become the ancients well, the ancients do start showing up in this season, right? So like yeah, yeah. of them? I feel like, yeah. So I think so. I, I think that's, you know, a good little element of it. But yeah, I was just like, oh my lord. Like, her excuse last episode, for all that the last episode was horrible, her excuse for why technology wasn't a viable entrance for SGC in the last episode was much better than this one. Because last time, it was, we're spies, we have to use gold technology. And now it's, we just don't believe better technology exists. It's like, well, which yeah, it's is like, it? It's excuse number two. Mind. No, they're just making their way down the list, you know? As soon as you counteract one, they're like, okay, well, now there's this other one. Yeah. And then, of course, they have to pull the, we're only protecting you card. If, if they know that you know about us, then you'll be a prime target. Bitch, we're already, we're already a prime a target. target. This is the most... <laughs> evidence that they were never listening to SGC from the beginning. They had no interest or consideration for ever agreeing to an alliance. They just made a show of it because if they were at even vaguely interested, they would have heard the part about how they're already a main target. They would have heard about the part, oh yeah, we killed Ra. You remember that part? Remember when you said, oh, you are Tok'ra as well if you killed Ra, because Tok'ra means against Ra. And, oh yeah, remember the part where we said we destroyed two motherships because they were threatening our planet? Do you remember any of the things we talked to you about, and you think that us knowing you is going to make us a target? The irony of a species with genetic memory having such convenient memory. Ugh, God. And in the end, it's basically just that... This is, these are all bullshit excuses. The real reason they don't want to be alliance with uh, SGC is because nobody on SG-1 wants to be a host. Okay, so I have so many problems with that. First off, it's like they, once again, conveniently forget that they're heavily related to another species that's hell-bent on domination and taking yeah. over people without any... It's not like they don't have a reputation no. already. So it's really cute that they're just like, oh yeah, the very idea disgusts you. It's like, it doesn't disgust me, it scares me. <laughs> it scares me, the idea of having a parasite in my brain operating my body 
Like, uh-huh. fuck you, bitch. And then on top of that, it's really fucking cute that they're so oblivious to the fact that they think they're getting away with all their bullshit, where they're like, you know, they list all this other shit, right? And then, of course, you know, as you said, you know, they're just getting to the real point, which is, you know, they don't want to be blended. My first response there is, okay, so you're basically keeping them under duress. You're, you're, this is just duress at this mm-hmm. point. You're oh, just keeping them there until they agree to do this thing. This is... It's coercion. It's coercion. It's just a, a situation of duress and coercion, once again proving that they're not that different from the gold after all. And on one side of this, though, I keep saying how like the Tok'ra are just like their friends, and I keep saying it as if it's a bad thing. I actually like this as a writing standpoint, because it's really no, it's good, good to have it's them as like, anti-heroes. Watch. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're not quite anti-heroes, they're more allies than anti-heroes, but it's really interesting seeing such a flawed potential good guy. I, I do really enjoy mm-hmm. that. The Tok'ra, despite part one as the introduction, but ignoring all of that, the Tok'ra yeah. as a concept are really cool, and I think they're actually really well achieved from that standpoint, because you mentioned, I mentioned that the convenience of every time they come across a technologically superior species, there's always a reason why they can't get help from that species or get their yeah. tech. This is a very good way of keeping the Tok'ra apart enough in future stories so that you still don't have too much advantage for the story, you know, for the humans. Otherwise, the show would be over eventually you know, quicker. So yeah. you keep that advantage where it needs to be, but more well, I mean, accessible. Also, it also helps that the Tok'ra aren't as in as easy a position to be immediately helpful as exactly. someone yep. like the Nox of the yep. Tolan would exactly. anyway. Yep. Because That's what the Tok'ra yeah, are ultimately spies. They yeah, are exactly. in hiding and they are spies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got some gold technology, but a lot of the gold technology they have, Earth couldn't use anyway. And it would be all minor things. It's not like they have attack ships. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I just really appreciate that. But yeah, so yeah, we're in, we're in complete agreement there. On on the writing standpoint, it may be failing the Tok'ra a bit, but the Tok'ra as a whole are actually really cool. Yeah. So, I'm just going to say my next note is, you know, while they're in that room, just being left there, all I can think is, Jesus Christ, give them a book or something. Right? Like, just, I like how they're all just left there in that room indefinitely. They're not being viewed as, like, people. They're being viewed as children. It's almost as if they're being left to stew until they eventually give in to be blended. Yeah, how strange, how how strange. It's almost like it's an interrogation tactic. So, uh, Sam asks Makepeace how bad her dad is. Makepeace being the leader of SG3. Uh, we don't mention him enough <laughs> for me not to just be like, yeah, Makepeace. <laughs> I really do love- his name sounds like a placeholder that someone forgot to replace with a name that was a little less on the nose. It sounds very military. It does. I buy it, but it also feels like a placeholder. Uh, and I do love that, like- they are definitely, they are 100% under guard. There's at least one guard in that room with them. And Jack decides to just audibly start planning about how they're going to fight their way out now that there's eight of them. It's a flaw here, and it's a flaw every time a show does it. But I love it how many times. Sh- as a kid, this would have happened anyway, because I, I do have volume control issues. Yeah. But as a kid, I definitely was under the impression that people couldn't be overheard if they spoke in, like, the most basic of a Soto voice. <laughs> Because of TV. I am not kidding. It's because people were always talking about shit, like, when, and again, with a barest hint of whisper, right in front of guards or some shit, and they never seemed to be even a little bit aware of it. No. So I was always under this impression that human ears were just garbage. And it was always a surprise to me every time I talked to somebody else and somebody across the room would be like, hey, fuck off. And I'm like, why the fuck did you hear me? What the hell? What are you, welcome? <laughs> No, like, it's so funny because as he's doing this, they actually make a point of not framing any of the guards in the shot. So at least it's a little better. Yeah. And it is a bigger room. 
room. It's not like there's some instances of like the the where they do that where it's like the person is two feet away from you. You turning away doesn't stop their ears from working. But this is at least a decently sized room. But it's still, he's not even trying to talk softly. I feel like Jack is honestly trying to incite a reaction from them. Since there are a number of similarities personality-wise between me and Jack in general, I could buy that. Because that's definitely what I would do, ill-advised as it would be. Yeah, and when he kind of voices that, even everyone's kind of like, Jack. <laughs> To point out, like, hey, there's only one way out, and there's hundreds of toker down here. <laughs> right? No, I love it. And Jack's like, yeah, now, at least now we have more manpower. And I'm like, yeah, because eight against a million is so much better than four. Yeah. Um, so, meanwhile, Sam is rethinking, you know, the whole host thing. Um, and ultimately, she's not rethinking it on her own end. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> this right here is why TV needs to knock it the fuck off with men writing for women in situations that ever have to do with anything relevant to rape. Yeah, with consent. I shit you the fuck not. I have seen so few examples. Granted, I've seen a few examples because there aren't, aren't that many women writers being given opportunities. Yeah. But I very rarely see an example where someone actually calls it out correctly here. I'm sorry. Nope. Hard fucking pass on Sam all of a sudden seeing the other side of it you're basically it's it's a, you're apologizing for rape yeah you're, you're, you're having her all of a sudden go well i mean if it had been different this might have been a good experience I'm like okay what? yeah the problem is that she's coming to this decision while they're trapped somewhere all about that situation was just wrong and i don't yeah. care that they're like well it's obviously not a physical sense it's you know we're not talking about rape. We're talking about her being mentally invaded. And I'm like, okay, it's the same fucking concept. Yeah. And I'm really tired of people having women see the other side of it in this kind mm -hmm. of situation. And it's really fucking gross because you're just apologizing. I'm, I'm sorry, we've already touched on this. Jolinar was a, 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 not a good person in that great no. definition because she had to make decisions that, you know, weren't good decisions. Jolinar was at, a spy. <laughs> exactly. But Jolinar invaded Sam's mind. Absolutely. And took over her body without her consent. That's just the end of it. There's no looking at it from the other side. Because no, Sam would never have gone up to Jolinar. She would never have known about Jolinar. She never would have gone into this situation in a different way. That's a non-starter as a concept. So fuck off with your fucking apologizing for this shit. And I understand it's because they're trying to get to the point where Jacob needs to be introduced. If I hadn't been fighting it, it's like, whoo, are you sure about that class? Right? Are you sure that's that's the wording you wanted to use there? Yeah, that's when I start, my, my note on this is in all caps. That's when I started typing, because I literally just typed a long ass nope hard fucking pass on her saying if i wasn't no uh, yeah so i've already said it and i'm not gonna do it again because <laughs> jesus but seriously it's really 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 not okay mm -hmm. so uh, but yeah mm. <sighs> if it isn't apologist bullshit i don't know what it is no you're not wrong um the one minute minuscule credit i will give this is that she's still not considering being a host herself <laughs> Yeah, like I said, yeah, I know that the whole point of it was to get to the part where Jacob is introduced as, you know, an idea here, but a different writer might have seen any number of other ways to get to that part. Yeah. Without involving this bullshit non-starter that I said. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ugh. That, that, it was bad. I'm just glad that was pretty much the only time they did that in this episode, otherwise I would have been out. <laughs> oh, yeah, thankfully it's the only time this is, t this is pretty much the only time Jolinar's talked about. But basically, she comes up with the solution of offering her dad as a host 
since she checks with Garshan, Garshan's like, yeah, we can cure cancer. <laughs> so she basically says she can let two of them go to bring Jacob, but the rest have to stay. Yeah, and that's when I started laughing because you didn't see this. <laughs> I just got really cracked up because uh, thanks to the Hulu subtitles guy, Gershaw was basically talking about insurance sales. What? <laughs> yeah, because she talks about, you know, we need to make sure we insure your return, but the subtitle person used the wrong insure. <laughs> Oh, God. So I I was totally taken out of the moment because I just started laughing so hard. So I was just like, uh, okay, so now we're doing life insurance policies. Good to know. That's what that's what getting a Tokra is. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I, just, I was like, I think you mean Ensure, subtitle person, with an E, not an I. So uh, Sam and Jack are the ones who go through. And on one hand, I understand why those are the two who go through. Sam, because she has to be the one to go through for Jacob. And right. Jack, because he's the lead and he's got to, you know, be in charge of this. And also he's the one out of everyone there that Hammond's most likely to take seriously about oh, yeah. this consideration. Plus so he's military. It makes complete sense. But on the other hand, I'm going, so you just left Daniel there with uh, the Marines and Teal, huh? <laughs> yeah. In a different universe, they would have come back to, to Daniel just being pantsed and duct taped to a telephone pole. It's fine because Daniel does nothing in this episode. This is another episode where Daniel's just there. Yeah, I mean, it was a Sam-focused episode. Yeah, no, it's it's fair. It's just, it's funny when you notice it. Because right. it's like, Tilk actually did more this episode than Daniel, which is shocking for this show. So it's always interesting when you have an episode where Daniel is just there. Wow, it's a good season for Tilk. <laughs> so, yeah, they have a briefing, and Hammond is understandably like, what What are you guys talking about? Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> like, what These now? are gold. What are you saying about letting one of them take Jacob? And I gotta say, this is the point where I uh, started to notice, this was the first part I noticed, um, some really good directing decisions, actually, because the whole scene's really good with the spacing, because Daniel is, not Daniel, sorry, Jack and Hammond are doing their talking thing, and Sam's obviously, you know, a little bit more separated, because she's obviously pacey and emotional, you know, yeah. little, you know, anxiety-ridden, trying to, like, you know, do this. And it's really cool, because I love that she's facing the conference room window while they're talking, mm -hmm. and she's basically just installed in the corner, piping in with one word or one phrase little exposition points as uh -huh. Hammond's talking, but it's not in a crappy way. This entire scene is not that long, but I really just love the dynamic of it. Everything from the how it's filmed, how everyone's paced and standing and everything. Sorry, placed and standing. I yeah. Just, it was a, a weirdly well-crafted little moment in the episode, the first one. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and it, it makes sense that, like, Jack is the one taking the lead for describing all of this stuff, because... Hammond is most likely to take Jack seriously about this. It's not because it's like, oh, well, it's a man talking. But it's, Jack is his second. Yeah, no, I think I'd more to do with military than a man. Absolutely. Uh, but even then, like, Jack, um, at one point, Sam has to basically take over because she's just got more of a connection with the Tok'ra, obviously. Uh, and is a little bit more accepting of this concept of sharing a body than anyone else on SG-1 is. Yeah, another part of that directing I really liked is because while she's facing the window, um, it's that's where the cinematography gets good, because you can see her reflection very clearly, and so it's really cool imagery to go with the whole idea of the two bodies, you know, two minds, mm -hmm. one body kind of thing. It was just a nice little representation of it as she's talking. Yeah. So, uh, basically Hammond's like, okay, if you do this, then you're gonna lose your dad. <laughs> You know, because he'll be gone. And she's like, no, no, no. It, it, they don't take his body. They share the bodies. So, I actually could still be wrong here because I am usually, as you might have noticed, extremely 
I was I was gonna say sensitive. It's not like I'm just sensitive. It's it's I'm rightfully sensitive. Yeah. Um, very extra noticeable. And it's it's always super noticeable to me anytime something is even a little bit in violation of anyone's rights. Yeah. And the chick, I definitely noticed the chick version, you know, a bit quicker. But this is the only tiny part of the episode where she's, I feel, not actually apologizing for the Tok'ra. This is more just good writing in the sense that she's desperately grasping at straws trying to make this work internally for herself as well as Hammond as a, as a believable concept so that she can save her dad. Yeah, no, this one where she's where she's explaining to Hammond, it's they they avoid it coming off awful because of the fact that she's just explaining the mechanics of it. She's not putting any emotion into it at this point. So she's not giving any of the like she doesn't need to be doing this, but any of like the apology aspect yeah, exactly. to it. Yeah. Because she's that just said no, that's not how it works in this case. They don't take the body, they share the body. And he's like, okay, but we've seen them fake it before. And Jack's like, okay, yeah, we have, but there's something different here. And I can't quite explain what it is, but if you saw it, you would understand. I know I'm probably just reading into it because, as I've mentioned before, I'm a huge Sam and Jack (laughs) shipper. Yeah. Uh, That'll never die. I feel like these are the beginning elements of the deeper connection that they'll later create between the two of them, where sometimes I feel like these are the beginning moments of him not necessarily being, you know, making a wrong decision or being dumb or anything, but because he cares about her, he's, it could be affecting slightly how he perceives things. And so I really, he's I like, accepting I like him going, the possibility of them being on a level a little yeah, bit more quickly yeah, than he would. exactly. Yeah, he takes things a little less at face value because he's not just more willing to trust her because he trusts her as a teammate and, you know, understands that she's an intelligent individual. Also, I think anybody he would care about, he would that would influence his decisions a little bit. Like, he'd want this to work for them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So We've I, seen these him are moments before. where... Yeah, exactly. So this is kind of the moment where I'm starting to... It could just be completely, completely platonic, but again, I just love them so yeah. much. I'm, I'm, these are the moments where I'm starting to wonder if this beginning tendrils of him caring about her a little deeper than he mm-hmm. should. Because he says it even, like, to him, he's like, I don't can't put my finger on it, and yet. Yeah. Let's do it. And that's not something Jack in season one would have done for Sam. No, 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 no. Even towards the end of season one, when he, like, pure teammate style. Yeah, absolutely. This feels like more. So I could be reading into it, but I feel like I'm not. I I don't know. Fuck it. (laughs) But I do like that Jack also tells Hammond about the, yeah, they said they don't want to have an alliance because they're protecting us. And then Hammond makes a face. He's like, yeah, I didn't buy it either. That's when I said earlier, I was like, I think that's like the one moment where she wasn't apologizing for the Tokras because she goes right back into apologizing for him a little bit there is when she yeah. says that, that bullshit line. I literally just... She's siding with them on that and Jack's like, no, it's bullshit. Nah. Don't, don't defend nah. them. <laughs> Kudos to the writing because I maybe, I would have maybe thought she was still in the good bubble if it hadn't been for Jack's response the way it was done. But it was really well done with that little, like, yeah, I didn't really buy that either. And all of a sudden it kind of put her response into light. And I went, nope, never mind. She, she flipped back over that line again. And it's like, I know she's desperate, but I'm, once again, so beyond over her apologizing for the Tok'ra. And yeah. so Jack. So let's just stop it. Yeah. So Hammond's basically like, I, I guess we'll give this a try. <laughs> Meanwhile, we get a very brief shot back to the Tok'ra planet. Where yeah, all we get is an ominous... <laughs> shot of a toker running across the sand. Yeah. What the fuck is with the random runner? <laughs> yeah. I, I literally wrote ominous running. Uh, ominous tokra yeah. running in the sand. I was like, yeah, that's some really heavy-handed foreshadowing, guys, but okay. Thank you for saying it. Um, I didn't catch the part where it said, uh, Martouf said, a scout said. So why'd they even have the shot? Because Martouf just says, 
Five seconds later, a scout reported this. Well, it's actually <laughs> not five seconds later. It's more like two minutes later. Okay, fine. <laughs> Whatever. If he's gonna say it later, then I just feel like the scene was as random as it was unnecessary. Oh, you're right. Um, but yeah, we go we go underground for a minute, and we get a nice little moment between Teal'c and Garshaw, where they're both, like, bonding over their admiration for the other I on, know, you know, rebelling scene. against the goal and everything. Garshaw's flaws aside, I, on a writing standpoint, actually really like Garshaw, mostly because of part two. Part one, I was like, fuck it. But by the end of part two, I was like, this is some actual good development in, in oh, this yeah. writing here. I love this scene. I love it. I fucking love I it. Love it's the first moment where you're good. like, oh, it's Garshaw's... It's a quiet little moment. Yes. And it's also very accurate to Teal. He would do that. He would Absolutely. take that time to do Especially that. Especially because he was the one who, like, said when she showed up, he was like, she's the most hunted Tok'ra known. So, like, he already know He's known her. So yeah. for him to be in this, you know, place of rebellion that he is, he would admire her, and he would want her to know that. Yeah, they're kind of kindred spirits. But yeah, that moment between them gets interrupted with Martouf coming in and saying, a scout just let us know that the Gould know we're here, and they're starting to send motherships. They'll be here in a couple hours. I, okay, I am going to give this episode so much credit for the fact that, okay, right after this scene happened, I wrote a note that wound up not happening. So I'm giving this this show so much credit for not falling into this very overused and one of my least favorite writing tropes, where my next note was, hmm, I wonder who's going to be blamed for this. But not once did the Tok'ra blame oh, SGC. Yeah. Not once! I know what you're talking about, because I, I didn't write a note for it, but I, I also was kind of like just waiting for that moment where we wasted I was, five I to ten minutes waiting. on I'm it. like, when are they going to do it? When are they going to be like, you sold us out? Never. Right. Not no. once. You know why? It's because it's an illogical conclusion to come to immediately based on nothing, especially for a hunted uh, group like the Tok'ra. And yeah. so other shows, when they've done it, that's an example of weak writing. Yeah, exactly. Show, that's why I have to give the show credit for not falling into this trope. Because I've told you before, one of my least favorite writing mechanics is when someone gets blamed for something that is not their fault and there's no way for them to argue their way out of it. Yes, no, exactly, yeah, yep, mm-hmm. Like, I can't stand any of that kind of storyline. It's just, and it's, it's such a used story concept and I hate it every time I come across it. So I appreciate that this show did not fall for that trap. I am so thankful to Glaster. I will almost forgive him almost for describing dissociative identity disorder as schizophrenia in the last episode. But I won't. But, you know. Yeah, I literally finished editing that episode um, less than 12 hours ago. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because I got that done real last second. But... Uh, and recording literally, you know, the next day. I having to re-listen to it last night, going through it, and I was, you know, uh, taking out some of the segments where I got, you know, super ragey. <laughs> yeah, thanks for reminding me, because, uh -huh, yeah, uh -huh. I can almost forgive him, because, honestly, no. he was getting better in my mind throughout this episode, but that that was unacceptable. No, it was, it was bad. It was the 90s, and the 90s didn't know how to talk about these things and didn't know how to be educated about it. But he could have educated himself. About oh yeah, it. so no, that's yeah, not no. actually an excuse. No, no that's that. Anytime somebody, this is gonna be a small tangent. The idea that holding on to something just because it's what has always been done is so insane. Tradition oh, to me, for the sake of it, is the 
dumbest fucking concept. Not only has it been responsible for centuries of stalled progress, it's it's why, you know, the glass ceiling exists. Yep. You know, it's why weak writing in some forms reappears. Just because it wasn't talked about doesn't mean you didn't still have the ability to start talking about it. No one was forcing you to be quiet. It's I don't I don't care if it's in the nineties. It was never acceptable. Um we we will definitely have to keep an eye and ear out for when that one episode with Daniel happens. Mm-hmm. And see how well that's treated. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's going to be bad. I, I do remember it fondly, but at the same time, I remember it fondly because of the jokes. I, uh, and I was too young probably to understand what was happening. She says it's a hopeful excuse in case it turns out to be a really terrible yeah. episode and we turn out to be just monsters for praising it this, this early in advance. <laughs> I feel like I do remember the doctor kind of being portrayed as doing a poor job of handling it. I literally remember a coat, and I remember nothing else about the doctor. I remember <laughs> the jacket. Well, we'll see. We're just gonna have to uh, see how it's handled. Yeah. Like, we know that Michael Shanks does a great job in that episode, but we're just gonna... We're just gonna have to see if SG-1 does a better job with mental health in the future. They did... Uh, they did a decent job with the addiction angle, and they're going to do it again uh, even better in Light. But we'll, we'll see if they, they handle... Thanks for reminding me. Man, Light is going to break me. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. 100%. 100%. I am not ready for that episode. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it. I have, I've only seen it once. I saw it the first time, and that was enough. I have skipped it, religiously skipped it every time. It's just, I don't need that. But yay! <laughs> all right. But yeah, so basically all of this devolving was basically me saying kudos to this episode for not having the Tokra blame SGC at any point in time. Because, you know, they've had here. SG-1 under their control this entire time, and they haven't been let out on their own recognizance or anything. And yeah, they know that two people just left to go get a dude, but that was for a very specific reason, and they also know that those two people who left understand that they're- back, too. Right. And they understand that those two people know that their team is still being held hostage for Absolutely, that you know, exact 100%. reason. So they're smart enough as characters to know better. The information was sent to the gold with the hopes of making SGC look responsible for it. Uh, maybe. Maybe the guy just, like, saw a window, because he's like, oh, there's people here that it- dots could connect it. Yeah, I think it's two different possibilities. It's either that, or the fact that the council was letting Sam and Jack go back to possibly bring back someone who would be able to host Selmac. They're like, oh, this is getting too close to a possible alliance problem. Right. They were willing to make that gold. risk. We don't yeah. want that to happen. Let's cut it off now. I feel like Gordesh was doing it too, for all of that was the reasons. Yeah. yeah. To stop the alliance and because it was a good window. I just wanted to specify, I said it, I said it, but we were both talking. I just really like that the uh, writers were trusting the audience here and trusting the characters that they themselves, they themselves have written. Because a lot of times they'll write a character and then just kind of forget stuff about their own character. Yeah. And they'll make a stupid decision because of it. But these guys didn't make that stupid decision because the characters are meant to be written as intelligent spies. So they act like intelligent spies. That was it. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Uh, so the Tokers start to evacuate immediately. As soon as they're told the gold are coming, she turns around and goes, everyone start doing the evacuations. Um, and then we go back to Earth. And uh, Sam goes in to see Jacob and starts telling about the program. And they, they're very smart about this because they have Hammond with her the whole time. And part of that's probably, yeah, because he's the head of SGC and he's got to be there for a read-in like this. 
But on the other hand, I was like, thank God Hannah's here so that Jacob actually takes him seriously when she starts talking about this. Yep. Yeah, and, yep. and even then, like, when she first starts, he's just like, yeah, okay, so I guess you're just not gonna tell me, huh? And that's where Hannah has to be like, no, she's telling you the truth. It's like when I bring my boyfriend with me places sometimes, because we yeah. both know, just in case, some asshole won't talk to me after that. Remember that time in the tire store? Where uh-huh. the guy wouldn't talk to me, so I went out and got Eric, and Eric comes in, and all of a sudden the guy is helpful? Ugh. And I just, I needed, I needed the fucking tires, so I didn't have time to make a social statement. So, yeah. Anywho, um, we understand why Hammond's there. It's stupid, but it's, it's real. Ugh. I'm not gonna get into a social rant here. Right, right. I just had, I have to assume this is the military hospital, because when they go into the room, Hammond says, clear the room, people, and the doctor leaves. Like, yeah. Like, the doctor just goes, okay, cool, and it's like, uh, now he would have done at least something, like, check the chart, cross something off, this guy looks like he's probably the oncologist, so I, I just, no, but if there was a military hospital, and I understand the hierarchy might yeah. play more in there, so I didn't actually have a problem with it, but it did make me have to assume this is a military hospital to make it yeah. work. I mean, I feel like it would have to be for him to read Jacob into right. classification. Exactly. No, it, it makes sense. I just, only if the yeah. parameters are such. So basically, they explain it to him. He eventually believes it and goes like, oh, this is why you turned down the astronaut thing. <laughs> First off, I love how Sam took the time to freshen her lipstick before she was yeah, of uh, course. doing this. And I, I love this show because I actually have a first, I've, I had a note here bitching about it. And then later I realized they were doing it on purpose to make, to make it a thing. And I was like, fuck you for your good writing. I hate that. I hate sick guy coughing. Yeah. Like the American dad made a joke once about it, right? Little whatever, you know, little Mary is dying. And the kid just coughs twice. <laughs> and the subtitles go, it's true. <laughs> I literally, my note was just in full eye roll mode. Cue sick guy coughing. And then the actual note for the scene, watching people get read into the Stargate program is one of my favorite things to watch across <gasps> all three shows. It's never not fun. Uh-huh. It's actually just well done. But I just, I love, it's like when you're in a zombie show, how no one ever knows what zombies are. Yeah. You, we all know that if we ever were somehow magically in a situation where somebody were to tell you that they actually traveled to other planets, I would never have this moment of just, uh-huh, because I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, I've seen Stargate, let's do this. But it's funny, because it's totally believable, because, duh, but it's only believable in that kind of universe. <laughs> it's it's funny, it's both believable, but not. It cracks me up every time, but I really do love watching it, because they managed to do a really good job across three shows with the various times they've had to read people in. And I mean that as in they, they have, they've had characters who are like, one actually leaves her boyfriend, and she gives him a Dear John letter as a clearance read-in video. Oh my it god. It gives him the information and basically says, if you want, you can come along. This show, it, it does this a few times, and each time it's unique and wonderful. Yeah, on that note, though, I do think uh, it's actually pretty clever uh, for this one to be, like, the first real emergency read-in that we have, because of the fact that, like, A, he's he's the father of one of their core team members, so there's very little, and also a close personal friend of Hannah, so there's very little chance that the classification read-in wouldn't go well. Right, but even if it did, even if it did go poorly, he's gonna die soon anyway. He's a cancer-ridden old man. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say old. He looks like he's in his, like, 60s. Yeah. Older. He's a cancer-ridden older gentleman. Mm-hmm. A, not much of a flight risk. B, no. 
how much damage could he possibly do? Exactly, exactly. Which is why it's fine that they managed to, it may, I completely buy it that between him being Sam's father, Hammond's friend, and dying, that they'd be able to get the authorization to get him read in that quickly. I buy it. I completely oh, yeah. buy it. Yeah, no, that scene, I had a very similar thought. Literally just kind of remember going, I mean, he does have cancer, fuck it. Exactly! That was, I didn't write a note for it either, but I did think, well, if he doesn't go with it, he's gonna die anyway. <laughs> like, imagine him being like, hmm, I don't want to do it. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll just leave you under a guard, but, you know, you'll be dead in like five days. Bye! <laughs> Real quick, I'm just gonna go call up TMZ. Yeah. Uh, so they, we go back down underground. So they bring him in. No, no, we're going underground first. Oh no, sorry, I just didn't write about him going through the gate. Okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, we bring him so in. It's, they give him a little, you know, little moment with the gate. You can only do so many wonder, like, oh my god, is this the yeah. gate? You can only do so many of them before it starts to get a little boring, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's great. They get through. Uh, Jack makes a little comment about how he was expecting a welcome party. I like it. Subtle. Cool. They do yeah. their walk. I'm not really complaining. I, I have nothing against it. I just... It was, you know, Jack did say there wasn't anybody there. We know that they're in the process of evacuation. Yeah. It's kind of implied there's no one at the door, so to speak. And then all of a sudden they go underground to the rings. And all I can think is, and they activated those rings. How? Uh, so they come down in the rings right after packages get sent up through the rings. If they're getting sent oh, up through the rings, okay. there has to be that. someone on the surface receiving them. I didn't catch that. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, we actually start, you know, they, they arrive on the gate, they're like, oh, I was expecting a welcoming party. Oh, well. And they start walking, and obviously, they've already walked to where they know there are rings before. Right, yeah, yeah. So that, they that can part's at least fine. go to that general area. Right. So, right. I'm assuming that when they got there, there was a guy with, like, packages strewn all around, okay. that's, receiving that's, things that's as fine. they were yeah. coming up. It, this, that's perfect, because up until this point, all I had was this mental image of, like, what I would have done, which is forgotten about this little detail of the door until I got there. I've been like, yeah, I know where the rings are, and I would have gotten there. And then you would have watched me kind of, like, start, like, jumping up and down on the stairs. <laughs> or, like, you know, doing, like, little pit-pats with my foot, like, like, like I was looking for a landmine or something. Yeah. I'm just like, is there, like, a... Is there, like, a mechanism or some shit? And it's like, no. Hello? Hello? Is there, like, a hologram? Like, fuck, what do I do now? Shit. Before I just realized as I was talking to you that there had to be someone up there receiving the packages, I just assumed that, like, they saw the rings transporting the stuff up. just booked it. Get it, get it, get it. (laughs) Right, 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 right. That was, when you were first saying the package thing, I was like, oh, at the very least, maybe they saw packages coming up and went, shit, go. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I first assumed, but then I'm like, they wouldn't be sending stuff up to nobody. There's gotta be someone up there receiving the things. No, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's totally fine. Yeah, I, your thing's great, because, again, up until that point, all I was thinking was, like, what, what are they doing, jumping up and down awkwardly? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> no, no, I like that we both were like, well, how how do they get in? <laughs> it's because it's just a weird little detail to not mention, especially since, like, for example, there was a whole movie that used the rings as a literal murder weapon. Yep. <laughs> but the mechanism involved was, like, a whole thing that they uh-huh. you know, showed and emphasized. We understand what this concept is. Oh, yeah. I wonder if there was, like, a ten-second scene up on the surface of them walking up and seeing the guy. Uh, that actually reminds me. That there really wasn't a lot of trivia for this episode, but there was a goof that I, I loved because... When uh, they're doing the rings, you know how the rings are, you know, transporters, right? Yeah. And yet, there's a scene towards the end, the rings come up, they materialize, and then you'll notice the footprints behind them from where they walked up to take the shot. Oops. <laughs> Oops. And there's a shit ton of footprints around, which could be, of course, attributed to, like, the old evacuation type shit. Uh-huh. But there's some, like, clear, distinct footprints literally leading up to exactly where they're standing. 
Oopsie. But yeah, so they come down and they're in the middle of the evacuation and, uh, like, Jack goes over to make peace and gets, like, an update about everything. And he's like, okay, well, if, oh, because Makepeace is like, hey, we're free to go. And he's like, okay, then yeah. what are we all doing here? And Makepeace is like, well, we want to be alliance with them, right? So we're Ally. helping them. Which was yeah. honestly a really smart decision for the Marine leader to yes. make. Yes, that, that was that one piece of dialogue did uh, did some character development, did some hell lore development because that just tells you how well staffed the mountain complex is. Like mm-hmm. people know what they're doing when they assign the heads of the teams. And absolutely, really, I also just really love this because I have mentioned I obviously come from some extreme militant pacifists. I used to have a really skewed view of the military until I got you know old enough to actually think about it for myself. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I think of Marines, I tend to think as many people do i think of like the trope you see on tv of like gi joe yeah channing tatum in all of his glory it's it's not really anything that impressive you know and they're never really portrayed as anything meant to be that impressive like they're the best but they're meant to be like the best at killing you know Mm -hmm. they're like you know navy seals are meant to be the best at i don't know seal team six shit that kind of stuff so Marines are a niche thing, and so even though there's you know some tropes still, of course, being perpetuated on TV, I really just love this one piece of dialogue for completely smashing one of them. It's just in a tiny little moment. Because in that one piece of dialogue, Makepeace proves that he's not just a dumb Marine. Absolutely. He's the head of SG3 for a reason, and he's capable of thinking ahead. He's not, it's, it's not, it shouldn't be that amazing that he has a brain. No. <laughs> but it's really great that they take a moment to just casually show that Makepeace isn't a fucking moron. And I love it, because honestly, I was like, Makepeace was like this, like, meh character, character, and with that, he's now developed enough that I'm like, fuck yeah, Makepeace. <laughs> Let's Heck do yeah. this shit. He made a really good decision there. Yeah, I just love him for that. I and love the writing. Especially because at this point, they don't really have an in with the Tok'ra. Exactly. No, he's, he's, it's perfect. It's a perfect little scene. No, it was honestly an incredibly intelligent decision for him to make, and I like it. Uh, so they're starting to lead Jacob in to go, you know, talk to Selmac or whatever, but they pause long enough for Teal, uh, to get introduced to Jacob. There's a nice little moment of respect of, of greeting between both of them. I love it. Good boy, Teal'c. And to be honest, Jacob handles that about as well as could be expected. Yeah, you can see he's a little, little gobsmacked. Because yeah. he's just kind of staring at Teal'c. But honestly, if, if you're gonna uh, start to introduce him to a whole bunch of other races... Starting with Teal'c is probably a smart decision, because Teal'c's oh, yeah. used to the gobsmack staring, and he's very he's very good about receiving it. <laughs> so, like, he just kind of uh, knows it's going to happen and, and handles it with aplomb and everything, and it's just like, it's very, uh, you know, I'm very honored to meet you and that sort of thing. And it's very Teal'c, and it's, it's just a good little moment. I-, I want you to know I tried very hard, but I am not mature enough to let the moment go. I, I, wa- I want to be mature enough to let it go that you said that Teal'c is very good at receiving, but I can't. <laughs> okay, um, so after they introduce him to Teal'c, we get a moment where I got to the part where I got the text from you, where they see that instead of the, instead of the tunnels expanding... <laughs> We're seeing them close in the same way with the same CGI. And yeah. Tilk says something in gold. I don't know what it was. But then Daniel says one of his, like, three lines in this episode and says, translation, direct translation. Very cool. <laughs> I lost it. I absolutely lost it. I couldn't. 
I, I, I thought I heard it wrong. I thought I had gotten spectacularly high in an instant and misheard. Because <laughs> I just, it was, it wasn't like it was out of character. It just felt so out of character. It was, I, it was amazing. I, was I went Daniel, back and watched it, it was a Daniel few times. Like, I haven't spoken in about five hours. I'm going to say something now. <laughs> That's right. I have second billing. Um, he said, very cool. <laughs> no, it was good. But I, I was wondering what your uh, text meant, and then I was, like, waiting for it to happen. I'm like, oh, wow, she was pretty far in when I was waking up. <laughs> well, because last night I, you know, like a grown-up logged out of Final Fantasy to go finish our yeah. episode. I, I, I didn't know that they were going to be doing a patch today, so I, yeah. got up, I got up this morning and I was like, la 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 la, go out to my laptop, log in. What the fuck? <laughs> I was mad, man. I had a plan. Uh, so the SGC team tells Sam and Jack about the incoming gold, and they bring Jacob in to see Selmac and start explaining the specifics of, you know, the Tok'ra and, like, taking on the symbiote and all that stuff. Can we take a moment? This stands out even more because of the fact that Jacob and Teal just had such a wonderful little interaction. Yeah. I love this weird fascination that the writer seems to have with making, trying to, credit to J.R. Bourne again for somehow managing to keep Martouf on, just on this side of not too creepy, but they have a weird dedication here in their writing to making Martouf just as as they can, because when they come in, I'm not entirely sure where he gets introduced in in the scene, but he comes in and when Jacob meets Martouf, Martouf says, you have a very special daughter. I know. It's like, oh, and God. That's just, no, Martouf, no. That's just all kinds of weird to say first thing to the new guy. Oh, like, God. I, I, I could be wrong. I'm, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping I'm just, you know, often, so often in the bubble of men being gross that I sometimes forget. <laughs> so it could be something else. <laughs> I can't help you with that. I, it could be something else, but it seems like it's just another moment of him expressing immediately to the to the guy, I have an interest in your daughter. Oh, he absolutely is. I'm, like, I'm not arguing Is, is this that. really the time for this? Are you fucking kidding me? I just, I, I'm just so confused. The whole thing is just weird. Why would you say that? You don't have the time for this. I have to move on because I got a little latched there just on the all, and just on how weird that was. All right. So, uh... They explained the, the specifics of, like, how, you know, taking in the symbiote would work with the toker and everything. And Jacob seems initially very resistant to the change. He says, so they're the alien? And Sam says, I don't know if I'd call them an alien. To which I go, I'd fucking call them an alien. Well, then she she says that, like, the bodies are human, but there's the symbiote inside. <laughs> yes, yeah. Otherwise known as the alien. I like to think that she said that because when he said this is the alien, you can see that the Tok'ra don't seem that thrilled about being called aliens. It's not... Here, one sec, one sec, one sec. This is honestly gonna bug me. Just one sec. Here we go. Yeah. Alien. Belonging to a foreign country or nation. Unfamiliar and disturbing or distasteful. Okay, I didn't see that definition. I guess that's why they're probably reacting badly. Um, yeah. I was thinking of literally all the other ones, which is relating to or denoting beings supposedly from other worlds, or introduced from another country and later naturalized. All I was thinking about were the idea of a con- of just literally the concept foreign, which is not a bad thing. So I was really yeah. annoyed by their being upset by that, but I guess this is a good thing I looked it up, because unfamiliar and disturbing or distasteful. I don't understand why that's uh one of the it's a that, that one's one of these things is not like the other 
why are three of these about a neutral concept and the third one, the last one's about being gross and horrifying? Because racism. Oh, shit. <laughs> Did you remember racism exists? No, I just forgot that's, like, that's how it can manifest. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I'm not, I don't think of it that way, okay? Jesus, I forgot that people do that. I forgot that people will look at somebody and go, different! And that's disgusting. I don't get that. I just don't understand no. that. So I'm yeah, I'm not going to disagree with it's, you. It's, it's not it's that a I forgot. Mentality, it's just but... that I, I, oh, fucking hell, that totally makes sense. God, people suck. <laughs> I hate how much sense right. that makes now. Thanks, Mel. You're welcome. <laughs> That's what All I'm right. here for. Alright, so back to that. Uh, so, SGC, like, the SGC group, so SG3, SG1 are all kind of grouped up talking about, uh, you know, what's going on here, what's the possibilities of, you know, how the information got out, and they start talking about maybe it's a spy. And Jack remembers the gold sphere he saw, uh, in the last episode, and he's like, hey, Till, you remember those little viewing globe thingies? Can, how small can they get? And he's like, they can be, and Till says, oh, yeah, they can be as small as to fit in your palm. And then Jack's like, definitely sell one of those. Spyception. Huh? Spyception. Spyception? Oh, that, we haven't gotten there yet. No, we were talking about there That's might be a spy. always down in my notes. You just said it. You just said it. There might be, they were talking about how there might be a spy in the Tok'ra, so my only note on it was spy Oh, because Tok'ra are spies. Got it, got it. <laughs> I get you. All right, so... We go back to Martouf and Jacob and Sam. Uh, Martouf suggests that Jacob try talking to Selmak before he makes the decision, and... I do, I did, my next note is, at least Selmec has the snark to handle Jacob. Yeah. No, I just, it's funny, like, I keep giving praise to J.R. Bourne, is because despite the writers and seemingly fixated um, attempts at making uh, Martif as creepy as possible, at least Lantash knows how to take a chill pill. Yeah. Because he approaches it very calmly, he just goes, hey, you know, no pressure, we're really not trying to coerce you. Exactly. But if you're willing... I would recommend speaking yeah. to the person to see what it would be like. And I like that. It's just, he's so, like I said, he's so chill. He knows where the Xanax is, and life is good for him. Yeah. Um, oh my god, they're all drugs, man. Atlantash is Xanax, and uh, and Selmak is weed. <laughs> so, uh, Saroosh, Selmak's host, comes out to talk to Jacob, because uh, she's like, you know, you probably need to hear from me more specifically than Selma, on this decision, because I know what you're going to be experiencing. Joy Coghill, by the way, is the chick who plays Saroosh Selmak. Yeah. And she was uh, mostly a theater actor. She died, I think, a couple of years ago now. Uh, she won a lot of awards, and she had some honorary, de honorary degrees, even, from a couple oh. of universities. She's amazing. She started one of the uh, first... Uh, acting troops for kids, I think. She even had a one for when she was older. She had one for elderly actors oh, as well. Wow. So she was she was kind of fucking cool. And it's just nice to see her in this for a little bit. Yeah, nice. Excellent. So, uh, Saroosh starts talking to Jacob and saying, like, yeah, you get to know all sorts of amazing things. Oh, yeah. I love it. This yeah. is where I, this is where I, I started, this is where I realized that my note earlier was actually, a, you know, a false note, because she does the cue, cue more dying coughs, and then they make a whole joke out of how they're both dying and start coughing. Yeah, yeah, I have a note here saying, uh... 
uh, two sick people talking to each other. Right, and I was like, oh my god, it was all for a point. God, man, fuck you for your good writing. That's fun. That's a, <laughs> that's a little gem there. I like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Suresh is just, like, talking it up, being like, yeah, uh, Zelmak knows so many things. It's it's amazing what you discover and learn, and, and they're good company, and blah, blah, blah. Um, but Suresh also warns Jacob, like, okay, so, you know, you're going to get all of Selmak's memories, and there are... Bad ones. Not good ones as well. You're going to have memories of the gold themselves and, like, that genetic memory. And a lot of that stuff is really bad. You're going to have memories of Selmak's previous host that died. You're going to feel the loss of me after I pass. But, like, I... And I appreciate that Suresh wasn't just gilding, you know, the, the story. Like... Sort of started with, oh, these are all the cool things that you'll get from this, but was honest with Jacob. Oh, like, you yeah. are going to experience these downsides. Yeah, no, it's this is a great concept because they take they take it to heart the idea of blending. It's it's not fifty fifty. It's one hundred percent Venn diagram is a circle, yeah. where there's good and bad and literally everything in between because it's not a parasitic relationship. Um, it technically still is in the sense that the gold inside could technically at any point assert control if it wanted to. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, you have to, obviously there's trust involved, but that's why it's, again, part of the good blending process is that it's a real trust because you have to trust this person to literally every single day not take advantage of that. Oh, yeah, which is why it's important that Saroosh is being this honest with Jacob mm-hmm. from the beginning because you do have to have that trust there for the blending to be that true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Jacob has clearly decided to accept the position since the other option is dying. And he doesn't, I do, I have to give credit to the actor here because he doesn't say this out loud, but there's something in the way that his, in the way he's doing his performance here where you can kind of get in the unsaid that he's not okay with dying because it would mean leaving Sam. Exactly. I got the, I got the same feel. Yeah, he doesn't say it, but there's just something in the... Because he's, he's telling Sam this when he's like, yeah, I'm gonna... The other option is dying. I'm gonna accept it. Yeah. But he's telling Sam this, and you could just... There's something in how he's acting that you can just tell. He's not saying that it's because dying would mean leaving you. But that, he, that is his reason. Totally know what you're talking about. I had the same exact thought, but I like how I didn't write that down as a note. What instead I wrote was the only thing I mentioned, the only thing I was bugged by in that moment where he goes off to vomit for a sec after Sarush tells him some stuff and he says to Sam that it wasn't because of what she told him it's because it was the the chemo chemo. and the gate and I'm like I'm not saying it's not possible because you know chemo obviously it's not instant hair loss you know it takes a couple of you know it takes a little bit of time for you to lose all your hair from it so I'm like okay I, I could believe if he just started chemo that he hasn't had any hair loss yet sure sure but it didn't really mesh with what he'd been told we'd been told earlier because he said before Granted, I know that this episode kind of implies that he had been given a different timeline than what ended up happening. It seemed like he was crashing early, but it kind of was implied, you know, in his earlier episode that he had time, which meant a more, uh, a longer course treatment-wise of Mm -hmm. chemo. So it seemed weird that he supposedly was diagnosed and was presumably put on chemo a a couple weeks ago, minimum? (laughs) And yet is completely hair and eyebrows intact. It's a funny, as usual, it's the stupidest thing for me to point out, but yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's always a chance he was lying to her and he was nervous about it, but he didn't want his daughter to think he was. You know, and that's completely valid. 
yes, that is believable as hell. And it could be even... For his character, yeah. Of, like, yeah, it's, it's good writing if it is. It's... Yep. <laughs> so, uh, this is where I wrote the note, Oh, wow, they aren't playing SGC at all. Remarkable. <laughs> for the, uh, the information yeah. getting out about where they were. Uh, so Jack goes to find Garshaw and warns her about Kordesh and how he has a long-range communication device. And credit to this woman... She believes Jack immediately. Same note. I said instantly turns pissed. Doesn't waste any time bullshitting with Jack. Yeah, it's so good because he's like, hey, I think you have a spy in your ranks. And she's like, no, that's not possible. You know, that wouldn't work with the way we operate. And he's like, really? Because uh, the one dude, uh, the Kordesh, uh, he's got one of those little long-range communication <laughs> devices in his room. And as soon as, she, as, he, as soon as he says that, she just like go find him, you know? <laughs> she just immediately believes Jack. And I think it's because, like, even though the Tok'ra are like, oh, well, you know, you don't have anything worthwhile to us, and blah, 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 you're just children, you're useless to us, she still sees that Jack is, like, a real leader to his people. Uh, like, <laughs> she might not respect the humans, <laughs> but right. you can respect people one-on-one. And they always had, like, actual conversations. So, like, the fact that Jack is just coming to her like, hey, I can tell you who it is, I can tell how he's getting the information out, I saw him with it, she believes it. Oh, yeah. The dialogue helps set it up a little. When he comes in, you know, he says, I saw Kordesh with one of those little uh, teleballs. And then Teal'c says his the long-range communications device. She says her thing about how we don't use those devices, they're not secure. And then... Jack says, well, your buddy Kordesh has one. He's speaking about technology that he clearly doesn't understand since he said teleballs and had to, you know... Yeah. Like, he doesn't know... He doesn't right. know enough about the technology to, yeah, like, he doesn't plant something or Yeah, exactly. He doesn't know so enough to be lying. It exists. Exactly. He doesn't know enough to be lying, therefore he's trustworthy. Like, at the very yeah. least, she's smart enough to understand that this is definitely enough information to make me want to go at the very least question Kordesh. Oh yeah, because like especially in their position, worst case scenario, Jack is lying, they find out, and now they have a reason not to trust SGC yeah. from now on. But if you just don't believe Kordesh. Jack to start and he was telling the truth, then you're screwed. Right. And they're not, you know, shoot first type people here, thankfully. So at the very in, in that situation, the worst that would have happened is they would have questioned Kordesh. Yeah, exactly. And but um, done unfortunately, bad. when they try to confront him, he's in like a closing tunnel because this whole time the, the tunnels have been slowly closing the same way they were expanding in the first place. Uh, and he's in one of those tunnels that's closing and like they all corner him in that tunnel and like, you need to come out and, you know, face justice, blah, blah, blah. And he's clearly, he's not talking with the gold glowy eyes and the voice anymore. He's just a dude. And he seems to be like, upset about what he did and he says i'm not who i was anymore you know something along those lines um and so that he no lets longer. the tunnel close over him yeah i need to look into someday in the future when i have the time and wherewithal to wonder at it more but i i really like this reagent thing they use this multi yeah. reagent thing they use for the crystals because it doesn't seem impractical and i like how he's able to kind of you know as like, and i keep saying molten it's like lava he's able to judge his time and distance so that he does that thing that i've judged other uh hosts for before namely uh scara with his can you, you forgive, forgive me you know what just for that no <laughs> just for that 
Um, well, it's good it like that. that he's he's very straightforward about I'm not who I was anymore. Yeah, and, I, and you know I regret I what I did. One line. Blah, blah, blah. And then he gets taken over. He's like, no. Yeah. I, I love the I love that bit because he does say I'm Kordesh no longer. Yeah, I'm Kordesh no longer. Yeah, and and but but they don't quite understand what that means yet. Well, I just kind of feel like it's a oh, it's because he feels they have to assume it's all emotional. That, like, it's him feeling guilt for what yeah, exactly. he did or something. Yeah, like because like while I heartlessly condemn Skara because of his incredibly slow waste of his yeah. precious few moments of, of you could have helped so much more there bro but whatever mm-hmm. um so yeah while i heartlessly condemn scara for this i also understand that i'm guessing the the reason why these writers get away with the shit is that normal people understand that people have feelings and i'm guessing in these <laughs> moments they're so overwhelmed by those that this is how it manifests yeah and so I guess it makes sense that he would, because especially these people are not like us who speak kind of like slovenly slang uh, yeah. people, where they all speak kind of better, <laughs> Yeah. where he's, it would make sense that his emotional manifestation would be, I am Kordesh no longer, because that could totally be read as, I'm not the person I thought I was, I yeah. betrayed myself. And it's totally plausible, but still understandable to an audience later upon reveal what yeah. It's just good writing. I like to think also I like that, it. like, if they hadn't been in the middle of an evacuation, uh, the other Tokra would have taken what he said and realized there was something there. But they don't have the time to really think about it yet. They're they're all really busy getting out, so they all live. So they're just like, well, I guess it's I guess it's over. Yeah, I mean, because I, I like it when he says, especially he says, uh, I'm as guilty as he is. Uh-huh. I like how... Because he, he feels guilt for not being able to fight off. yeah. And I really enjoy that part of what he's doing. Is he's, I definitely get the impression, personally, that Kordesh asked his friend that he's definitely been preying on, I'm guessing, emotionally this whole time. Um, he asked his friend, in quotes, for one last thing, because he obviously he needed to go fuck off and do something. So he needed his friend to distract them and make them think that he was gone. And his friend was also fucked up enough that probably wanted to kill himself at this point and was down for it. So this was definitely an emotional scene on both levels because honestly, he's trying to give information. He's trying to do the right thing, but at the same time, he's still a slave to to the conditioning that's been put in him Mm -hmm. and such. And and credit to this actor, like, he does some really good emoting for a character that before now has just been sort of smug and annoying. Oh, hell yeah. You see, like, the host. Like, before now, it's all definitely just been Kordesh, the yeah. gold that we've been talking to. And because he's like, been, oh, yeah, he's he's been, been in charge. Tolerable. Okay, that makes sense. Your host actually has, like, a personality and regrets and, you know, yeah. that kind of thing, so. Well, I actually just realized how much this... It might have made a faint whistling noise as it went over my head, but it could have also been a, a cool representation, honestly, of, like, Stockholm Syndrome, because up until this point, I think it's literally just been Kordesh in charge. I think he's been... As I mentioned earlier, I, you know, it takes a lot of trust to trust the snake not to take over. I think yeah. Kordesh did a while ago. Oh, yeah, I yeah. Think he did. I, I, I think agree he's with just you. been I think that's brainwashing true. and crushing and strangling the guy, the host, so much that that isn't... When I said that, you know, he was asking his quote-unquote friend for a favor, he was telling his charge to go do yeah. this thing. Mm-hmm. And this was the last act he had in him. Yeah. And it's really fucked up in a good writing standpoint. It's oh, really, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really awesome there, but it's really fucked up. Man, I feel for that guy. So we ha- we go, that seems to be done. It seems to be wrapped up. Oh, we caught the spy. He's dead. Painfully melted. Painfully melted. Yeah, oof. God. So then we go back to Jacob and Selmak, and Selmak's like, okay, you know, if, if we're going to do this, I need to interview you first because we're going to spend at least like 100 years together. 
I want to know that you're not intolerable. <laughs> you, got, you got to ask your questions now. It's my turn. Exactly. And uh, I there's a good moment where Selmak's like, are you a good person or a bad person? And I think it's very telling that Jacob doesn't actually answer. It, it is such a Jacob answer. It is it such is. a Jacob answer. <sighs> but you know what? After Jacob kind of talks around the are you a good person or a bad person, Jacob does go on to be very honest about being like, look, I'm scared. And I think it's when he decided to be honest about being scared that Selmak was like, okay, I like you. Yeah. Sorry, I just, I'm mad at myself for my notes because I, I know where I was going with one of these. Well, that was gross. as obviously in reference to the painful melting. Yeah. But my next one, I once again do that thing where I don't write down what I'm referencing. So I wrote down, thanks for the helpful commentary, Jack. Oh, I don't know. I don't yeah, know what I you said there. But fuck it, whatever. Um, after that, I, yeah, the Jacob bit, not that it doesn't make sense for his character, but I wholeheartedly disagree with the concept of goodness not mattering a wit here. Yeah. No, I I feel like that's just because, like, I feel it's like Jacob he answer. didn't think he could honestly say I'm a good person considering all of the shortcomings he's done with his daughter. But he knew that, you know, obviously just saying, like, it's too... Saying, are you a good person or a bad person is a very... It's a difficult question to answer sometimes. Oh, yeah. Some, if somebody were to ask me that right now, I'd laugh and I'd just go, I mean, how much time do you got? Yeah, exactly. And they don't have that time. So, yeah. like, I... And, and like I said, it's a very Jacob thing for him not to answer. And they don't have the time. But I think that... I genuinely believe that the fact that after he, you know, dances around that first question where he just is very honest about the fact that he's scared, mm -hmm. that's what Selmak decides. Yeah, okay. and, I, and I can buy that. I can buy that. She's she's obviously lived... She's been, she's been around. She understands... She's perceptive. She would have to be. Yeah. Why? I think the fact that so he avoided on, so. answering sure. would have been an answer in of itself. Exactly. Exactly. That's a, that's its own kind of honesty. So yeah. Okay. Uh, so Jacob just wants to know that he'll still have a chance to see his daughter afterwards. Yeah. I, it's like yeah, because you you uh, you bothered with that before, right? <laughs> but and it's like, and I and I want to give Selmak, whatever. Yeah, I want to give Selmak points too here. I, I want to for honesty, like where he she says. You know, she she says yes, and then she also points out that by the way, this may not and this may yeah, not work. That's my next note. They they're both weak, so it might not work. That being said, while I give points, I kind of have to take us away at the same time, just because deathbed honesty is still a cheat. Yeah, it's not a cop out. It's not bad writing, but deathbed honesty, by its very nature, always kind of comes with a okay, yeah, but you don't have those repercussions, do you, on your horizon? Yep. So. I'm just gonna... They're very... Yeah. I think they're well-matched is what I'm trying to say. Selmak and Oh, yeah, Jacob. no. Yo, they're very well-matched. But, yeah, so Selmak warns that they're both weak, so it might not work. So Jacob asks for five minutes with Sam. And proceeds to tell her how proud he is, and I'm just like... Yeah. You could have mentioned that at any point up until now, mm -hmm. but sure. And he does admit to his own shortcomings regarding communication. Deathbed honesty is still a cheat. That's all yeah. I gotta say. No, he, here's the thing. Like, I didn't write this note down, but I was thinking it, like, especially at the latter half of this episode... Where I'm like, you know, I don't know if they just turned his behavior around a little too quickly in this episode, or if they failed in not giving us any hints of this in the first episode he showed up in. But there's too, there's a little too stark of a difference between Jacob in this episode and Jacob in Secrets. I think we either needed a little bit more hint of, like, the jokester willing to be open side in Secrets, or we needed to see it be still developing here. 
in this one. And then like maybe the next time we see him with Selmak after having been blended with Selmak and having that bond for a while, then he's at this point. Yeah. We, we needed a throwaway scene equivalent of the throwaway line that we yeah. sometimes need. We, we just needed, there needed to be a little bit more of a blending between the two Jacobs, in my opinion. Yeah. Not to the point to where it's like, this is stupid, throw it right. away. Right. But it's just, it's a little out of left field, and it's it's the deathbed confession kind of thing. It's yeah. that kind of like, oh, well, I'm dying, so I guess I'm going to change my ways out of nowhere. And it's just like, okay, guys, you gotta have, you gotta do a little, you gotta build a bridge. Just build a bridge. Right. And I yeah, think no. that, so honestly, I think that suffers be with the fact that it was two different writers. We got introduced to Jacob with one writer, and then Glasner came in to create the Jacob we're, that we're going to have from now on. Yeah, I can't and remember. I think did, that did we like didn't the writer? help. Did we like the writer in Secrets? I can't remember. I don't, yes. I know we, we didn't like the director. I know that. Terry Curtis Fox was the writer for Secrets. Yes, that's right. We did like that. That's, that's fine. So yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I'm not blaming him then. <laughs> No, I, I wonder if Glasner and Wright just didn't tell Terry Curtis Fox what sort of character Jacob was going to become at the end. So basically it's J.J. Abrams having his job taken over by Ryan Johnson, and then some idiot going, okay, let's just give this back to J.J. without... And undo all the progress. <laughs> without talking to anybody, because it's like... J.J. didn't even talk to himself because he yeah. didn't even know where he was going with his story. Well, J.J. never <laughs> writes knowing where he's going to go with his exactly. story. Exactly. And, and this he is from those He yeah. notoriously wrote Lost, not having mm -hmm. any idea what right. any of the answers to any of his mysteries were. Right. And it's like, and if anyone, anybody who didn't catch Lost caught it in Star Wars. <laughs> I find a way to bring this up all the time. It's just, I've seen writers who definitely had an idea of where they were going. Um, I actually managed to go a whole episode last week with, uh, without saying it, but last week, as if I didn't edit it yesterday. Um, but Farscape always does a great job of this. <laughs> to me. In that it's a really bizarre show, and it goes everywhere, so it's it can be forgiven for not having like the most concrete story arcs. But yeah. it knew where it was going with the end, because if I remember correctly, it had been intended to only be a five-year story, and of course, naturally, they got cancelled at the four-year mark. And yeah, the fan response, as I've mentioned, was so, you know, it's so stupid to cancel a show a year before it was going to be over anyway. Yeah. But there were so many stories that hadn't been finished, so everyone lost their minds, and that's why it got brought back to the miniseries. Um, and I say the miniseries is a very good example of, there's a few things that got dropped, but it's because they didn't get a season to do it. They had to do it in a miniseries. Yeah. That's the only time I've really seen a show not quite pull off its ending, but not because they didn't know where it was going. They did pull yeah. off the ending, I think, but I think it would have been pulled off a little better had they been given the time that they, you know, in space mm -hmm. that they had been intending to have. So it can be done, and it can be done in an unorthodox way, which is a really good example of how it can be done even when the situation is difficult. Yeah. So when it is so badly screwed up, it's just that much more glaring. Oh, yeah. And I, this is not, like, a huge example of it, obviously. It's just no. a couple of episodes. It's one character. Right. And again, like we said, we just needed a bridge right. between so it's those not like two. It's a, you know, it's not like it's terrifying. It's not like I'm dying inside. I'm not miserable. No. However, communication helps so much. Oh, and yeah. when you when you don't create these bridges inside of your own framework of creating a show, which is what I'm assuming happened here, Yeah. then... Even good writers like Terry F Curtis Fox. And you decided to introduce a character that you were going to make this big ambassador to the Tok'ra in an episode that was not written by one of the 
the show leaders. And it's, it's I don't understand why they made that decision. And if they were going to make that decision, I don't understand why they couldn't have, like, had more communication with Terry Curtis Fox about it. Which, yeah. I, again, we're making a lot of assumptions here. Right, right. But when you look at who Jacob is in Secrets, and you look at who Jacob is in this episode, it's like, I can almost see where they connect, but again, we need that bridge. We need that bridge, and you didn't give it to us. It's like Jacob had, you know, a couple of those little thought bubbles as a, you know, character concept, you know, like, older guard was one, yeah. and a well-spoken ambassadorial type was another, and mm-hmm. so Terry, and I feel like even a good writer like Terry Curtis Fox couldn't have just created something out of nothing, without being given the whole picture, and they didn't. So when they gave him a thought bubble, he did everything he could with it, and he created this first impression of Jacob. But if they had given him more of the map, maybe he could have put more pieces in there with his dialogue, Mm -hmm. for example, or something. And so I, I am making assumptions here, but I feel like he was given a thought bubble, and this writer was given a different thought bubble. Yeah. For part one. I think, honestly, I think Jonathan Glasser gave himself one thought bubble for the part one, and then gave himself the rest of the map for part two. And yeah, it's that's weird. The thing. Part one Jacob is a lot like Secrets Jacob. Yeah. He just gets a thought bubble. And then all of a sudden, there's no connection to the rest of the map. All of a sudden, the rest is just brought in. We needed yeah, something more. Yeah, and I think more. we're supposed to look at the, again, like you were saying, the trope of, like, the deathbed confessional. Like, oh, he's dying, so he's going to change his ways. And it's like, that's not... That's not conversion. That's not how it works. <laughs> but yeah... At the end of the day, like, I'll take the fact that we don't have a bridge for the fact that Jacob is a much more tolerable character now. <laughs> yeah, she stands At least off we don't have the Jacob who walks away when Sam is crying anymore. Yeah, yeah it's great, because, you know, that's something about, you know, maybe she'll stand off some of my rough edges. And I'm like, dude, she stands off all your edges. Right? <laughs> she stands you are all of them. so good as Selmac Jacob. You are so fun as Selmac Jacob. And you're already starting to show the signs immediately, so it's weird, but whatever. Uh, fine. Fine. She, she is better than any weed you could have gotten on Earth. You are mm-hmm. set. Yep. So we actually leave them uh, for a minute and go to, like, everyone else, like uh, Garshaw and, and the rest of SG-1 and everything, and they're still talking about how she's basically like, look, you know, we still don't really have a reason to form an alliance. We, we're grateful for you pointing out, you know, the spy in our midst, but that's still... We don't really have a, a reason to form an alliance with you. Again, because they're completely self-serving. But Daniel is like, mm, I mean, we could do the thing with Jacob again. We have plenty of people who have terrible diseases that you could cure who would be thrilled to sign up for this. So I also just love how the Tokra earlier were saying, we don't want an alliance because one of you won't blend with Selmak. And then they get somebody to blend with Selmak and they're, and they're like, still like, well, well, we still don't need an alliance. It's like, you. this is like sense and sensibilities, man. Well, we never entered into a formal arrangement. Yeah. It's like, okay, okay, okay. A verbal agreement was definitely made. Go fuck yourself. Yep, yep. But yeah, so Daniel at least uh, manages to secure an alliance by saying, hey, we could do the Jacob thing again. Yeah, it's a weird way to promote, hey, you want all of our sick people? <laughs> I mean, it works. It's just... <laughs> It's like, it's the weirdest way a Canadian could ever say, it's better than universal healthcare. Here's the thing, like, the Tokara are like, oh, well, what's in it for us? And here's Daniel being like, yeah, well, what was in it for us? 
you guys are talking about all the great like knowledge that that they get but who says we want that you know we don't need your genetic memory we need something to deal with the gold we don't blending with you and getting your memory isn't a trade-off for us healing our sick okay you know now i'm willing to talk if both of us are getting something from it Instead of you just, like an oh, we'll give you bodies. It's a fun little moment for me, where because it's just such a clash. For, I, I go, I jump around like a little jumping bean on my emotions, because <laughs> I go from, wow, fuck you, as soon as you get what you need, all of a sudden you're back to your, uh, oh, yeah, we don't want, yeah. and then immediately I'm jumping on the other train of, I, I'm sorry, I just love this argument of, what's in it for you? Our sick people. It's just, it's it cracks <laughs> me up. It's yeah. just, well, you can have... All of our cancer-ridden people, da-da-da-da, it's literally like the Z Legend of Zelda treasure opening sound. Yes. <laughs> and I love that it works. I just yeah, love that it, it works. Daniel's figured out how these snakes think, man. <laughs> uh, so, which honestly makes sense, because Jacob, uh, Jacob, Daniel's also thinking with the what's in it for us. So he comes up with a, an answer that has something for both of them. Uh, so then we go back to Jacob and Sam in the room with Martuf and Selmak and everything, and I did write this one down because I like the choice in language here. Jacob, like, lays on the bed next to Selmak and they're about to, like, do the, the trade or whatever. And he tells Sam goodbye. And she says, see you soon. It's funny that you like that. It's one of my least favorite tropes. <laughs> I hate it. I it's, it's a trope, but considering what we have of Jacob, it makes sense. Especially in this scenario. Because he's kind of, like, still trying to do, like, the distancing thing. And she's like, no, you're gonna be fine. Stop talking like that. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. I, I'm agreeing with you. I just also hate it. <laughs> no, yeah, like you said, it's a trope, but it works very well for these two, so. Yeah, call it my... We I also have to remember, every it, time you say this is a trope, was it as much of a trope in the 90s? <laughs> yes, it's the oldest fucking trope in the book. No, yeah, this one is, but I know, but I, I was just thinking... Uh, there are certain ones in the past where we've talked about that, like, this is an uh, old used trope, and it's like, it wasn't back then. <laughs> that is something we do have to think about, and I don't, and we do, you know, sometimes be like, okay, well, they didn't know about this much as much in the 90s. It's still not an excuse, but again, they didn't, this wasn't a topic of conversation. But we also need to think about that when it comes to writing, because, like, a lot of things that seem, like, overused now weren't in the 90s. Because they were just oh, yeah. getting done. While I do have, you know, like, when I say I've, I've seen it enough and I just don't like it, one of the reasons, I'm not actually disagreeing with you here at all, yeah. I, one of the reasons why I don't like it is because I get that it's actually good writing. Let me just say this. I get that it's good writing because yeah. people do do this. Yes, I just, absolutely. A, because I've seen it enough on TV, I just don't care. I'm, you know, over, I'm just desensitized to it now. And then on top of it, I'm kind of, you know, as we've mentioned, we're, uh, you know, I'm just a little weird. I'm a little adjacent to the feelings. So yeah. when somebody would say goodbye to me, I, it's not that I'm like, want them to die. It's not like I'm like, not <laughs> hopeful for them not to die. I just, if somebody says goodbye to me, I'm going to go, okay. Like, I mean, I just, I don't feel the need to yeah. reassure them with my words. I know that makes me sound heartless. It's mostly oh, just God. because I'm we already Sam know. in this scenario. Right, so right, I'm not going <laughs> to... I would not be the one reassuring them. I've, that's not me. It's not necessarily the reassurance part, even. It's just the fact that, like, when somebody says goodbye, especially in this kind of situation, we both know what's happening. Yes. Mm -hmm. We both know. We, we, we both have the exact same amount of information right now, especially about your potential prognosis. Yeah. And I don't understand how this bullshit works. I get that it does for others. I just don't, I don't understand how. Because if somebody were to say it to me, I'd be like, I, my last words would literally just be like, what, 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 what? That doesn't make sense. Fuck you, what? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I'd go. And that's it. <laughs>
Yeah, that, this is one of those where we just kind of have to watch and be like, sure, that's what normal sure, people yeah, do, I, I guess. Sure, yeah, I guess that's what normal people do, yeah. Uh, uh, weird, okay. Uh, so my next note in all caps is, that's not a kiss. Oh yeah, right before that though, one right before the weird not kiss, I do love this tiny little uh, moment where the camera's panning up his their, their bodies on the bed, and he's holding his daughter's hand, and mm-hmm. he still wears his ring. Oh, his wife died nice. how many years ago, and he's still wearing his ring. Nice. But yeah, so Selmax so says that the way that they the symbiote goes between bodies is that they have to kiss, and Jacob's like, are you kidding me? And she's like, nope. Actually, <laughs> she is kidding like, you, because they don't, in oh, fact, kiss. They okay. Never... <laughs> the whole thing's weird. I don't know why they emphasize it so much, because they never actually, just from a purely logistical standpoint, they never even touch mouths. No, they don't. A kiss literally is not performed here, so it's just such a weird thing to emphasize. It's mostly just to make it weird and funny, I guess. First of all, I think it was just a line to be weird. Uh, But I think it's also, I think it's kind of suggested that, like, the the larva needs to be outside of the body for as least amount of time as possible. So as close as their mouths can get, that's preferable. Right, I guess. I just, I guess I would have, I would have preferred less stupid and more clinical description of yeah, what I yeah. actually need to do in this moment because, you know, I'm about to have an alien transferred into my body. Yeah. I would just like to facilitate this better and maybe your glib shit isn't really necessary right this moment. Uh, oh, there was actually, before this happens, uh, there was a more clinical side of things where Martouf was explaining that the Tok'ra never go through the back of the neck because the symbiote seeing that scar is like a trigger. <laughs> Like, they yeah. don't like seeing it. Makes them feel like invaders. Yeah, which is nice. It's a nice little a nice little bit of uh, prose narrative that Martouf is supplying that doesn't seem too forced because of the fact that he's explaining this to outsiders mm. in a situation where it applies. I like it because it leads into what Daniel asking, then why don't the Goa'uld go in through the mouth as well? Oh, and then, oh yeah, and then he says that they don't like seeing the horror of their host's face as they're being taken. Yeah, because then they'll see it every time they look in the mirror. Yeah, it's really cool. You know, that that tracks. (laughs) It's a a Um, little thing. I like it. Yeah. No, I like that explanation. It works really well. So, it's also also a really nice um, indication for, like, the future, where you should be able to tell if they're a Tokoro gold by how they went in. Not always, but it's a pretty good indication of being able to tell. Like, oh, are you a Tokra gold? Well, let's see the back of your neck. Oh, you don't have a scar? You're probably Tokra. Yep. So, yes, we go uh, to... Oh, so they're still doing the... Oh, so, sorry. So the gold goes into Jacob. Yeah, which, yuck. and Just yuck. Yeah. And Sarush, uh dies, and Jacob goes into, like, a healing sleep kind of thing with Selmak so that Selmak can try and heal Jacob. Uh, he's... So far, survived the transfer, but now it's just a waiting game to see if Selmat can heal him. Yeah, I I just gotta say, though, I have to really give kudos to both of the actors there, because they actually managed to make that convincingly sad. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a, they do a good good job with the framing and the actors and even, like, the music and everything. It does just, you, you have this, like, solemnness to the moment where Sarush passes and Jacob kind of passes out. <laughs> yeah, I just, no, right before that, though, is when he looks over and sees her and just says goodbye, my dear friend. Yes, as, as Selmak. And I, yeah, that's why I got, I got real sad there. I was like, damn, that actually was the exact amount of, like, intimate and 
properly solemn and sad. Heck it was yeah, just, it was good. I felt uh, those a, are two I good actors slightly distraught. Each other right there. Yeah, I just I actually felt legitimately distraught there for a moment, mm-hmm. and it was nice. Uh, but they do set up another timer because the show loves to do the timers. Yes, where yes. he goes into um, his healing sleep, and the gold then... are gonna attack in like a matter of hours. And uh, Jacob cannot be moved until he is done healing, or it will kill him. Yes. So, I, I obviously, most, I'm assuming everybody at some point or another has heard that you should not move a gravely injured or dying person. It yeah. can It can be what kills them. Mm-hmm. I get that. I totally get that. However, it is insane to me that the Goa'uld and or Tok'ra have not conceived of or designed yet a levitating gyroscopic stretcher. Oh no, you're not wrong. I was like, don't, we have ways to make it safer to move people who are, have like neck injuries. How do you guys not have this? You have hover technology. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, it's literally not not until with you on this. I think this is the Tok'ra being dumb as fuck. Yeah. One of my biggest complaints about SGU is also one of my favorite things about it is the silliest thing. It is the silliest thing. But SGU has um, these little camera GoPro, floating GoPros of sorts, these little balls uh-huh. that are, you know, walking, talking um, cameras with, you know, intercoms. And they're, uh, they're called Kinos. And yeah. it's great because it isn't, it isn't until SGU that someone finally thinks of a floating stretcher. Because Eli takes a shit ton of the Kinos, which is why it's also one of my biggest complaints about the show is because he gets them from, like, literally, like, a Pez dispenser in his room of just, like, <laughs> apparently just an infinite supply of Kinos. Granted, the show only lasted two years, so who knows, maybe they eventually would have addressed their shortening supply. But it's great because, literally, they, they, these things get periodically destroyed, and they were kind of, you know, designed as, like, a mouth. You know, they're meant to go through the gate and, you know, assess. Yeah. So there's that. And so, obviously, they were assumed to be a loss ratio. So I'm assuming it wasn't an infinite supply, and yet it seemed to be because he makes a stretcher out of what I can only assume is like 20 of the things. <laughs> but he literally installs 20 underneath a piece of metal and makes a floating thingy. Mm-hmm. But it's it's one of my favorite things about the show, but it also takes three Stargates before they get there. <laughs> and it well, kills me because the only thing I can uh, explain for why the Tokri don't have this is because they're so set on the idea of them only using gold technology. And the gold have a sarcophagus, so if there's anything like that, they just toss someone at their sarcophagus. They don't need to know how to safely transport injured people. Right, right, but that's what that, that part makes sense. So I, I have no problem with that. It's this slightly adjacent thing where, for example, those uh, telecommunications balls. Those yeah. hover. Those hover, don't they? Uh, they look like they, look like they hover. I don't know if the small ones do. Okay, well, yeah, I'm not talking about small ones. I, I, oh, yeah, no, I'm not talking about them, them being, like, kinos. But, like, the, they have... what. I assume is like I'm guessing some sort of maglev technology. Yeah, you know, I'm, it's almost always I'm assuming magnetic the levitation. Big ones do hover, yes. Yeah, and they're big metal balls, so magnetic levitation makes sense to me. So if they have it, I could presume that the Tokra know of the hover technology. And while they don't use the telecommunications balls, magnetic levitation still would be a concept for them, and it could have a lot of applications. So it's just a little annoying to me that the writers didn't think about <laughs> what they were doing, because if they had at some point, I'm not saying necessarily this episode, but it just drives me crazy every time. That it took three se- three shows before yeah. we get hover technology? Honestly, and it's, it kills me, because shit like this is, like, this would have been a great, you know, example of a gyroscopic floating stretcher. Yeah. That could have solved this problem. Granted, that would, of course, have eliminated some of this writing. And it's, um, I, I hate to always steal stuff from YouTube channels, but Pitch Meetings does a great thing where he goes, well, I need this to happen so the story can happen. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's like, I get it. They need this to happen so the story can happen. Yeah. There's always elements of that in any story. Right, exactly. So I was like, I, 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 this is one of those things where I'm in, I can, stuff can be two things. I'm, I can be laughably annoyed at it. <laughs> I'm not yeah, so mad. ultimately what it comes down to is we've got a timer ticking down till the gold attack, and we don't know how long it's going to take for Jacob to heal. So it, it's a waiting game of tenseness, trying to figure out where it's going to line up. Uh, meanwhile, everyone's still evacuating. Uh, Jack is in the hallway, and um, a woman passes by who is carrying the box that Jack distinctly recognizes being the box that held the communication device. And Bitch, he immediately's like, coat. hey. And as soon as he calls out to her, she tries to run. And it's a narrow hallway. There's a lot of people moving around. She doesn't get very far. He grabs her, opens it up, and is like, Yep. <laughs> this right here is a prime example of I need this to happen so the story can happen because there is literally no reason for her to be carrying it like that and in that fashion. She could have grabbed a coat and wrapped that thing up. She could have taken the ball out of the box and carried it in her hand, much less obviously. Mm-hmm. She carries this ornate little thing and nothing else in the middle of an evacuation and is going against the flow of traffic in the hallway and of course also walks past the guy who was the one to reveal who the spy saw, who yeah. saw the so, gizmo uh, to begin with. They, the whole thing makes no sense as a concept. That just happened just so the story can happen. And it, oh yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's a remarkably bad piece of writing in this tiny little scene. Yeah. But yeah so basically it's that Cordash jumped to a new host. Yes. Um, I do actually like one thing about this that the woman that jack finds is recognizably one of the council members from earlier oh she was oh I didn't, yeah it's, it's funny I you say recognizably because i didn't she recognize turned, her like, at all oh shit she was from the council and that was honestly really smart of cordes to jump to someone who was in a position of power plus i mean they're probably you know because they trust each other it was probably pretty easy just to walk up to one that didn't think yeah. about him walking up behind her yeah so cordes jumped to a new host uh, Garsha says to try and remove the symbiote safely so that the host survives. And I know it's busy, and I, I I do wish there had been something from someone on SGC of, oh, you can do that? Right? Yeah, I know. It's like, okay, I know this is them introducing the element that you know, we'll see later on, and I know they can't have it be too much of a thing because otherwise it would eliminate a huge problem that the show kind of depends on, which is getting back your people once they're taken. Yeah, so, well, to I, be fair, I get like, it. you'd have to get a hold of Shaude and... Right, 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 right. But and, that would be uh, a big piece of the puzzle first. right there. So, right. like, there's still a... There's, there's still, still a limit there, even yeah. if they did know, oh, if we can get them, we can bring them to the Tok'ra and it can be removed. But I'm just like... No, it's Jack, still... Like, you, you couldn't... You couldn't ask one question? Yeah, no, they, they still have obstacles, but had that been revealed that would have been a huge piece of the puzzle so it's understandable why they didn't leave it out but it does make no sense for jack to not even touch on that at least it wasn't daniel if daniel had been the one there who didn't that ask been, i would have been like all right this is that, bad writing <laughs> speaking of unacceptable that would have been <laughs> yeah he would have like tackled her to tell <laughs> tell me about this the technology dude he would have done that thing where he literally just pipes up immediately from the ground the fuck did you just say yeah exactly <laughs> From five rooms over. What? <laughs> Daniel, how the fuck did you hear what she said? This is such a tiny little thing, and I promise it'll be quick. Um, yeah. Have you seen Have you seen New Girl? I, I watched a couple seasons. I haven't finished it, though. It, it's actually really good. The first season's not my favorite, but it gets real fucking good. No, I, just, I, I, like, I like New Girl. I just need to finish it. I yeah, haven't caught no, up with it. 
I love the character Schmidt, and I love this one scene. It's, Schmidt's it's great. It's kind of a tired joke, you know, men's fixation on giant boobs, but I don't know, it's still funny. Sometimes, some things, there's always funny to me. Like, I, I watch a guy get kicked in the crotch, I'm always gonna laugh. I'll ask <laughs> if he's okay, but you may not hear it through all the laughing. It's that kind of thing. And my concern may not seem as real, probably, because of all the laughter. But one of the other things I, I never get tired of is the this kind of joke, which is, Cece and Jess are in her room and Cece mentions that she's having back problems because of her, of her breasts and so she mentions that she has health insurance now I think and she goes I want I can actually get a breast reduction and it's great because all of a sudden you hear no and then a slam and the <gasps> pounding of feet running for a while as he runs across the entire apartment <laughs> finally makes his way down the hallway and then slams into the door oh, no <laughs> You can't, God. And it's just hysterical. I, I, it's probably just a testament to the writing of that show and the acting and the way it's done is such a good scene. Because honestly, it's great. Because the entire time that sound is happening, you're just watching the girls just stand there, <laughs> totally just meh faced, waiting for it. Because they <laughs> like, know what's gonna yeah, happen. Yeah, it's like God damn it. <laughs> and it's really, really funny. And I got that kind of like feel here. Yeah. If it had happened, but it doesn't. Uh, so they they found they've weeded out you know the complete spy that they should be fine now, uh, but unfortunately it's time to officially evacuate. Everyone has to get off the planet, but Jacob still can't move. Uh, Martuf offers to stay with him and either evacuate him when they can or let the tunnels take them both before the gold can get to them. Staying for Sam. Oh, he is one hundred percent. There's no. There's no guess about that. That's what he's doing. Uh, and Sam's like, okay, well, I'm also not leaving my dad, so I guess we're both waiting here. <laughs> the joke was in front of me the whole time. There wasn't a noble bone in his body because there aren't any bones in the dip. No, you're right. <laughs> so, but yeah, so Sam and Martouf are going to stay with Jacob Selmak and, you know, just try, hopefully get him out in time. But, and, and, you know, Jack and keep forgetting Garsha. I was like, I keep forgetting her name. Jack and Garsha both like aren't happy about it, but do accept it for both of their, you know, sides of the team. Um, the various insubordination. I did write this down just because, like I said, Daniel does like nothing in this episode. So anytime I see something where it was clearly some Michael Shanks flavor, I have to write thing. it down. Because as they're leaving, you see a little moment where Daniel just in the background just kind of gives yes. I guess. I shrug. guess. Yeah. No, I know. I I knew where you were going, man. I love that little bit. Yeah. It's. He's like clearly not happy about this, but and it's definitely just a Michael Shanks choice because he's like, well, I don't have anything else to do here. <laughs> That's a great part of the scene, and right before that, I again might be reading into it, but I also really love Sam's just blatant but respectful insubordination as she refuses Jack's order. And I I choose to think that it, you know, while it could just be that he's respecting her decision as somebody who understands what a particular situation she's in, how difficult uh -huh. it must be, it could just be that. However, I definitely see it more as uh, one of those elements of his deeper caring kind of showing. Yeah. Because he accepts it yeah. and just Well, this isn't the on. first and this won't be the last time that he gives an order and someone on SG-1 says no and he goes with it because he knows it's what they need and what they want. Yeah. And it's, it, at the very least, it's a great indication of why he's a good leader. Exactly. It's uh, going all the way back to uh, the, the First Commandment, um, that episode, where he made a joke about, does it say Colonel? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Like, everyone is tell- uh, like, not listening to his orders. He is clearly the highest in charge in the situation, and nobody is listening to his orders. But he's- he's chill about it, because he's like- he knows how to look at a situation and be like, is this a moment where I need to put my foot down, or is this a moment where we all need to work together and- and find an agreement. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, they all leave, they go to the gate, uh, and they're starting to, like, talk about- Oh, we'll we'll take you to our planet first, Garsha, and then we can send you, you know, to where you need to go. Cause that way we have less trips through the gate. It's gonna take less time. Especially because they have to dial out before the gold start dialing in. So they're basically like, okay, we'll take you through to SG1, and they're like talking out like the de details. And as they're talking out the details, they see some of those Hatak ships starting to swoop in and they're like, Yeah, you'll dial out, dial out. <laughs> So he, you know, dials out and they have to run through the gate before they swoop in. Once again, it takes, this time it only takes two um, stargates, but it takes two stargates for them to uh, get to this idea that enemies should uh, lock gate access. Yeah. So that people can't flee. So it's a big, it's a thing they introduce like immediately in um, SGA. Taylor mentions that the Wraith dial in on the gate before they attack a planet mm -hmm. so that they can, you know, so the humans Dial can't out. get away. <laughs> it's just pretty simple. That way the prey can't escape. Yeah. So it's interesting that these, I, I just now realized, literally as I was speaking, maybe it could be an element of good writing. Maybe it's supposed to indicate the arrogance. They're underestimating their enemy again. But it seems more like just dumb tactics to not cut off escape for your enemy. I will say, I actually think it works very well for, especially even now in season two, because it's only season two, that they still don't have that mentality quite yet. Because of the fact that this is the first race that has figured out how to use the gate. They're not used to people being able to escape using the gate. It's not something... Granted, they're coming after the Tok'ra right now, but they've never found the Tok'ra before. So they've never had to have this kind of invasion technique. Go ahead. I'm not disagreeing. I really, I really not. I just have a question. Um, I'm guessing we're going with the idea then that they've just already... At this point in time, I could totally buy it that they're not invading, but it just means at this point in time that they're not really expanding anymore then? That they've, they've already conquered all their planets and this has been long-term reign on most of these planets? I mean, yeah, we don't really see okay. any more conquering. Okay, no, that's fine. I'm just helping shape myself here because that, that that's the only No, that was just me kind of like, having. yeah, I guess so. We don't really yeah. see, like... No, that, that does make sense because I guess I always just assume something else. Yeah, no, on. that actually completely tracks because even though there wasn't any visual evidence for it, I kind of just assumed it didn't make sense to me not to use, like, you know, as you were saying, um, invasion tactics, because it seemed like they were people who would, like, you know, want subjects, <laughs> and so yeah. were out there going around and conquering, but it also totally tracks, because they're definitely, like, the lazy court types instead. They're definitely oh, yeah. not, it's, it could totally be that they've long since done all that, and humans aren't running away because yeah. they have no reason to. They just accept what life is. Yeah, I mean, it's very telling that their title is System Lords. Yeah, it still seems weird that they don't conceive of it mm -hmm. <laughs> until another Stargate. But again, the Wraith are literally, this is their everyday thing, is hunting and gathering yeah. their humans. So it totally could just be a, a, as simple as that. And All the other planets we've seen SG-1 go to before now, the gate has at most been like a religious token icon place. Like, they don't know what, what it does. It doesn't do anything. So they wouldn't need to use the gate as a way to trap people from escaping because no one knows how to use it in the first place. Yeah, and the people who do don't use it for that reason, so it makes sense. Exactly. Uh, so 
they get through. They're in SGC. Garsha says that if they, if Martouf and them can't get out safely, Martouf will destroy the caves with them in it. It's a good, it's a good on Garsha there. It's, it's very smart to wait until you've gotten to Earth to mention yeah. that that person you left is probably not coming back. Either she's coming back or she definitely isn't. I mean, to be fair, Martouf did say in the moment when they were all leaving, he's like, look, I will either get them out or I will make sure we are not taken by the ghouls. And there's really yeah. only one way for the second right. one to happen. No. So it was already kind of like yeah. no. No, unknown. No, but this is where Garsha's like, like yeah, this is how they won't it. get taken. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it's you're, you're right. They, they definitely aren't like trying to hide it or anything. No. Just, it's definitely good on her to not... She waited until they were all the way there before she doubled down on it. She she was going to be honest, but she did it at the right time. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. Like, she's a leader for a reason. Exactly. Uh, back on the planet, Selmak wakes up and is immediately ready to move out. Yeah, I, I just, I don't understand why they bothered to set up that Elena suspense if they were just going to literally let it go a, a, a scene later. It was a weird thing to do. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. They needed five extra minutes in the episode. I mean, I would have put them on something else, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, man. I wasn't in the writing room. Uh, so Sam requests a chat with Jacob first, uh, and Jacob mostly just seems to be really excited that he doesn't have arthritis anymore. I'm not looking forward to arthritis. It's in a lot. I'm pretty sure everybody in my family has it, so I'm probably oh, guaranteed. Oh, man. I'm not looking forward to it, because based on what I see on TV, apparently it's just hell. <laughs> I don't hear a lot about arthritis from my family, so that might be one of the few medical sides that I'm going to luck out with not getting a lot of. Everybody on my family, not only do they get all the crap, but they also live to be like 150. Oh, yay. <laughs> so, like, most of them, they've had arthritis, not just had it, but they've had it for, like, 60 years. Oh, so their hands oh, are, like, me. their hands are, like, literally just, like, little nubs at the end. I had an uncle who, by the time he died, his hands, he still moved them. I just don't know how. The way my mother tells it, I'm like, ah, so I'm kind of fucked. And she's like, well, you're not not fucked. <laughs> but at the same I time... Mean, technology, medical yeah. technology <laughs> continues to advance every every day. Every time I see a scene like this, I'm like, ah, oh, great, thanks for that reminder, because, like, I'm just, I'm just hoping that I don't have to deal with this, because I, I don't know, man, it, it might also just be reinforced by the fact that my grandma also told, told me that everybody got it because they cracked their knuckles, and I crack my knuckles like crazy, so she's always, like, she was always telling me, stop it, you're gonna give yourself arthritis. Maybe she was making more correlation than there was, <laughs> so maybe it was just overemphasized. This is a long-winded way of saying, I really hope this is Jacob over-exaggerating, because I would <laughs> like arthritis to not be this bad. Uh, so, at, back at SGC, they're standing, waiting around for Sam and everyone's dial back through. They're, like, all on guard, like, they've got, like, the, the, you know, blares and everything. Everyone's, everyone's ready for, like, whatever to happen. The iris is closed, but they're all waiting for them to come back through. Of the two goofs listed on IMDb, one of them was the footprint one that I had, I went back later to, you know, see it. <laughs> yeah. I, hoped, I thought it was funny, I wanted to see it. The first one, I was like, yep, yep, no, I definitely caught that, because it, it annoyed me too. This is now the second time. It's funny also, because this is also, I'm pretty sure the same chick now too involved in this. While they're waiting, Hammond looks over for a second, and the iris is closed, and it definitely seems like the gate is not open. Yeah. But they look over, and then the chick, who we see, we've seen a couple times, not Westerholm, the other one, she says, still no signal from SG-1. And I can't help but go, maybe because the wormhole isn't open? Like, yeah, no shit, you're not getting a signal. It's closed. Yeah, I don't know if, like... That's a dumb line. <laughs> that was a dumb line. The only thing I think is, like, the, the, the iris was closed, but that still doesn't... 
Yeah, it's, like, it's just weird. would know if the wormhole was open. Yeah. Also, real quick question. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I just can't remember anymore because SGA has um their shield their iris is actually a, like a force field kind of thing and yeah. I can't I've conflated too much now over the years. Uh huh. When the gate dials in SG one, the iris has to be open, right? It would get destroyed if the gate opened while it was still closed. Or is it because of how close it is? Does it survive the initial impact? I can't remember. Oh god, I don't I don't remember. Because that would make that scene even extra dumb. It would make it more dumb if that because why would the iris be closed then if the gate is especially not open and why is it just waiting? I genuinely closed? don't I genuinely don't remember. Yeah. So I I'm not saying the scene's extra dumb because I don't remember, but if it yeah, is, I if don't it know. is that, I'm not then sure how oof. that works. Yeah, this could either be a slightly oof scene or it's a big oof <laughs> scene and I just ugh, I'm hoping for small. <laughs> yeah. I, I I genuinely don't know. Because it makes sense more in SGA, because the force field doesn't matter, you know, the, the, the yeah. initialization of the thing, it just stops at the force field. It doesn't get annihilated. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I have no clue. So, let's see. Uh, back on the Toker planet, uh, they're at the gate, and as they approach the gate, you start to see it dialing in from another location. And this is where they're like, oh no, the gold are trying to dial through. And Sam's like, I'm going to get out first. And just, she like does the quickest dial we've ever seen. And before now, it's always been Daniel. There was one other time where Daniel did like a rapid dial where I'm like, yeah. dang, dude. Like yeah. she was on it. She's like, no, boom, 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 boom. It's not that bad. It, it could be easily explained away, actually. Like I, uh, I'm on this, I'm on the fence on this because it could totally be said that, especially since, as you pointed out, they're not really using invasion tactics. It could be said that these guys are just, like, not impatient dialers. Like, they could just be slow dialers. But it's just a little weird to me that they see the gate start to dial, and she has enough time to say, they have enough time to notice that it's dialing, slightly converse about it, have her say, not if I dial out first, run over to the DHD, then start dialing, and then complete dialing. My excuse there in is... In roughly the same uh, amount of time when that they the notice, other guy does. It is the first symbol that's been put in. Yeah, but Only again... One and the conversation still, happens six. as she's heading to the DHD. But still! <laughs> no, I'm saying it's a thin one. Yeah. The only thing I can say is that, like, the gold... I have a big ego. <laughs> again, again, it's like it could just be said that they are slow dialers. I will yeah. accept it, but not really. I, I, I'm begrudgingly accepting that as because it's literally the only thing that can explain this. Yeah, but I'm only... willing to believe that they just don't. They they have no reason to be fast dialers. Sure, SG one has is is used to uh, having to do like fast escapes, right? Or, they're they're, used to they're usually under attack. <laughs> yeah. Whereas they're the used gold, to running. when they go to a new planet, are coming in casually as an attacking yeah. force with superior technology. They don't have to rush anything, especially because most of the time they're coming to a planet that doesn't even know what the gate does. Right. No, they're coming. They've with never guns had against... to learn how to dial fast. I'd right. buy it. Right. And they're always coming against. You know, they're coming with guns against people with sticks. It makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. No. Ultimately, I know why it's done this way. It's done because I, it's almost kind of acceptable just because I saw what they were trying to do and I kind of liked it. Yeah. Was they were going for that because up until now there was a couple of honestly just kind of half-hearted attempts at suspense like with their weird arbitrary tar- timeline and then with the half suspense about whether or not Jacob was going to you know get healed. Yeah. Up until now those were like half-hearted. This one I kind of like because she says, you know, who finished dialing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it does beg uh, one question I have. I, I don't 
have a problem with this answer, if whatever it might be, but yeah. the wormholes are one way. I can't help but think, just toss a rock. Like, if it's not dialed correctly, I feel like it would just go through. And that's how you can know. If it goes through, through, Do and disappears... Do we know if that's what it does, though? I that's don't, the thing. Have we ever that's seen the, anyone try and go through a, a one-way wormhole? That's the thing. That's why I said I'm not going to be like upset with the answer if there is one, because I'm guessing there probably is, because up until now, I don't actually really remember. I, I can't say we sure. have had anyone try to go through a one-way uh, Yeah, exactly. Yet. So it could just be said that this wouldn't work as an idea, but I feel like it would have been fun to try. <laughs> Yeah, because I don't know. Yeah, I do know that they're I'm, one way. I'm pretty sure no one's ever tried, and I don't have any memory of everyone try anyone trying in the future either. I don't think it's anything someone ever tries to do. So I guess at the very least, my mild complaint here is, how come in three shows no one's tossed a rock? No, I I <laughs> agree with you. Yeah. But I think it's, it's something it's a minor to consider thing. trying it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I just, I would like, just once, toss a rock. I want to see what happens. Yeah. But, because it, it could potentially be a really helpful tactic. Yeah, you're, you're right, though. This is definitely, like, the best moment of suspense in this episode. And it is, there is definitely a little bit of, like, too much talking, talking happening before the race part happens. That's an unfortunate side effect of, like, any writing. Like, there's so many instances where, in TV or movies, where it's, like, you spend five seconds on dialogue that you really can't spare there. I'm thinking of an exaggerated version where I can't actually think of like a, a specific example right now, but it happens all the time where they've got like a, like a bomb timer going, counting down and like the amount of like conversation or action that happens between showing like 15 seconds on the countdown and coming back to it and there only being like seven seconds. Right. It's like, that's impossible. And like, right. those are no. like extreme versions. This one right. you can, sure. Yeah. You can fit it in. Like, this is a minor grievance when it comes to those those examples. As with many things in my repertoire, I have stolen this from uh, CinemaSins. I, I love it when he says this. Uh, movie has time for this. Yes, yes, exactly. That's what it is. The show has time for this. And in the show's defense, time for this is five seconds of dialogue. I've seen much worse, so I will accept it, especially because halfway through the five seconds of dialogue, she is already moving to the gate, the dial home device and starting to dial. So yeah, it could be explained away, and I'm, like I said, begrudgingly accepting of it. <laughs> I yeah. just, I still have to call it out as like, okay, timing worked out yeah, there. No. <laughs> yeah, so there's a tense moment after the gate opens where they're like, wait, which one of us dialed through first? And Selmak's like, well, we'll find out, I guess. <laughs> One way to find out. Yeah, so they have to, so she's like, wait, hang on. So she puts through her signal. Yeah, go ahead. I have to say one thing. Uh, fuck Galaxy Quest for this, because it has ruined something for me forever. Uh-huh. They do a great run at the gate. They're booking it, right? And they all kind of yeah. jump through it. But for some reason, Sam goes for a somersault. She rolls through the gate, and all I can think is, does the rolling help? All I could hear was Sigourney Weaver in my head. No, Liz, literally, I need to tell you, my next note is, LOL, only Sam Commando rolled out of the gate, the others just flop. I just, I just love it. The other two flop out of the gate, and she does a little forward roll. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess she is a soldier, I don't know. But Jacob, Jacob was too. Just once, I want there to be a, a marine who got a little too close to the gate, and then Sam rolls through and accidentally just crotch shots him to the face. That'll <laughs> teach new guy Larry not to stand so close. Yep. <laughs> and that would that would honestly make the rolling totally worth it. Uh, so 
all come back out. They're like, cool, we got out safely. Jacob seems weirdly <laughs> charmed about someone else using his body to talk. Yeah. I mean, I like, guess... Yeah, I can I can feel my body saying things, but I'm not the one doing it. And he just seems kind of like... It's like, okay, sh- sure, Jacob. <laughs> I think he's still really excited about no arthritis. I mean, to be fair, remember, like, remember how, like, every now and then we've talked about how, like, sometimes we'll get so fucking sick... Or we'll have, like, a migraine so bad where when the pain's over, we're, like, giddy and almost high. Because it just yeah. it feels so good to feel normal. It just feels so good to feel normal. So maybe he's just literally high on endorphins. Sure, but I do like that in response to him being oddly charmed, Jack's like, I'll pass. <laughs> I love this scene for two things. I mean, it's your average kind of wrap-up, but before, yeah. like, the la- before like, the final wrap-up bits, there's two things about it that kind of... Sam mentions that, you know, because uh, Garchaw's like, yeah, we, ha- we have to fuck off already. And Sam says, we have our own version of a dial device. And oh, you're, Garchaw- you're, you skipped ahead again. Oh, okay, cool, go. So I did just, I just t- have two notes. Well, one note before this, and then, like, the notes go into it. So uh, Jacob reassures Ham that the Toker on the level, because he's got all of the Toker's memories now. So he's like, right. it's not just the Toker telling you something now, it's me as your friend, telling you, yeah, they're on the level. And he offers to be a liaison with the Tok'ra. Yeah, this is where we were talking about before, where this would have been better if they'd had another Thought Bubble episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he could have been introduced. Just, it's interesting, because up until this point, all the imagery has been really heavily on him being like, like I keep mentioning, the old guard, you know? the Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's always seemed more like the retired sentry, and now all of a sudden it's yeah. supposed to be completely normal for him to be like, yeah, I'm an ambassador and I'm real fucking good at it. It's like, okay, cool. I totally buy that it's, like, because of all the experience you just gained through Selmac, but it still seems a little out of left field for Jacob, and it just, it could have been better. No, yeah, no, I agree with you. Like, we, we both agree there should have been a bridge there. Yeah, it's like, it wasn't bad, it just could have been better. Yeah, uh, but then we have the part where Garsha's like, hey, we can't stick around to debrief because since we had a spy there, the spot, the gold will know where our evacuation point was. So we have to go immediately to that point and pick up again. We have to get there before they start building the tunnels. Uh, so we can't stick around at all. And that's where they start talking about the dial home device. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she asks if you have if they have one, and Sam says, "Yeah, we managed to rig one up." And it's cute that you know Garshaw's well, like, "Oh, Jack says that actually." Oh shit, you're right. My bad. And then Garshaw, you know gets, like, you know, a little impressed. She's like, oh, wow, nice. I'm like, okay, I mean, I guess up until this point you didn't really know anything about these people, so I, I guess it's just a little biased. On, uh, not a little. Obviously, I'm just having a hard time with my hindsight being like, I mean, yeah, computers exist. Like, <laughs> I guess up until this point they really just thought we were fucking peasants with sticks. Uh, yeah. But, which, which doesn't not track. This is her moment of going, oh, I guess you guys aren't completely. <laughs> right. And again, I, I hate doing the to be fair, but all of the other humans they've come across on other worlds haven't had this kind of technology. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. They, they've only seen Hicks up until this point, so it yeah. tracks. It's just a little funny to me, but um, what it really does is it cracks me up, because I've, I've said this before, and maybe the show will eventually, like, maybe there's a reason. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not against it. I just, it's always a little odd to me that it's never come across anyone's mind to just jack a DHD from one of these random planets, bring it back to Earth, and use that instead of this, you know, three-story fucking computer you must have to use this thing. So it's a little funny to me. Like, I know it'd be hard to do, like, you'd have to manually dial that gate on that planet because you're taking the thing that dials it. But yeah. 
It's not. But they I have I shown that they can manually. Yeah, dial, I don't think it's really so. that impossible. I don't. I just don't. I at this moment with the information I have and remember, I just don't understand why they don't. Plus, they've already been to the other gate on the planet with the DHD that's there. They already have one on Earth. Why haven't they tried to? Like, they should have had a line by now that says, "Oh yeah, that thing's beyond repair" or something. If they weren't going to use yeah. it. Yeah. So it's just a little funny to me that they haven't ever. So it's funny for that. And then I also get. Yeah. I immediately go into being even more amused with the next falling bit because Daniel comes out with a Sagan box. Actually, again, you are skipping things that I want to talk about. That's that's why I was pausing. That's why I was letting you do it. I just wanted to get there. Okay. So, um, I, I specifically have a note where after after uh, Jacob, you know, volunteers to be the liaison, and obviously he's going to be leaving with t- the Tokra when they leave. Oh, uh, Garsha does ask to see their dial home device so that she can give them their new coordinates. So she leaves with them to go do the dialing. And while all that's happening, Mertu <laughs> tells Sam, I will keep an eye on your dad as if he was my own dad. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, Mertu. I think he just wink, proposed. Wink, wink. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure in some cultures that's a proposal. Yeah. I was just like, come on, Mertu. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, the subtlety train never leaves the station with you, does it? No, and then there's a part where Jacob jokingly says, apparently I'm the oldest and wisest among us. Yeah, that, that's that's a Jacob. That's a Jacob. <laughs> yes. Uh, but then Daniel brings out his friendship box. <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping I'm missing something. I'm assuming I'm missing something. The Sagan box, I know that they used it in Thor's chariot. Yeah. As a way to signal Earth. Yeah. And I know that they were able to figure out that it was the Sagan box used based on the isotope. Yeah. Here's the thing. I got the impression, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I got the impression from that 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 wasn't what the Sagan box was for. No, I don't think it was, but I think at this point Daniel's like, it works. (laughs) Right, but that's my problem here is like, okay, so you give them the Sagan box, which is defined as a different thing in a different episode, and it's definitely not meant to be your box of tissues, Daniel. You could have given them an IDC. You could have given them literally anything else as a way of contacting them. You gave them a Sagan box literally just for them to frisbee back through the through the gate. Yes. And I'm just really confused. <laughs> no, they definitely could have done an IDC, but I do like the suggestion that Daniel looked at what happened at Thor's chariot and went, it works. <laughs> than just to give it to Jacob and say, Frisbee. You know what it could be, actually? This is this is me going wildly uh, into a, an assumption here, but it could theoretically work. So if they just gave them an IDC and someone managed to get a hold of it, I, an IDC would be a lot more obvious of a communication to, like, that if an enemy got a hold of it, it'd be a lot easier for an enemy to look at that and figure out how to use it to try and sneak into SGC. If an enemy got a hold of the box... They would just kind of look at it like, it's a box. They're not going to think, chuck it through the wormhole. The other side is going to find an isotope off of the box and know it's the their friends. So it could just be a really subtle way of making sure that like a potential enemy never gets a hold of it and uses it poorly. I don't want you to take this the wrong way when I flat out reject it. <laughs> No, like I I said, it's just a wild concept, but it could work. I, I, no. (laughs) I 
do just love the idea of them chucking a box through the wormhole, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of mad about it. I'm kind of mad that they gave them a fucking Sagan box as an expensive frisbee. Daniel got to do two things in this episode. Let him do a third thing. <laughs> Give him a fourth thing. Give him a Sagan box and an IDC. I feel like, I, I bet what's gonna happen is the next time we see the Togra, they do have an IDC. I bet they fucking do, and I bet it's just gonna drive me batshit when I see it. Yes, because I don't, I, I, this might just be, be me not remembering, but did they mention that they gave Braytac an IDC before we find out about him having one later on? Okay, actually, I want to say no, because I feel like that's <laughs> why they have that line where Teal'c says the only other person who has one is as Tecmate Breitak. Yeah! So, I, I don't. That was I think they just think about it afterwards moment. where they're like, oh, shoot, we need a reason why they would know who it is. Oh, they, they gave him the IDC. Yeah, but see, like, that's a fine little, I mean, if you have to do a shoehorn, I get it. You fucked up. You didn't You didn't think to shoehorn it in the first thing, so you're not shoehorning it in now. Fine, fuck it. The only thing I can think of is maybe now the Sagan box has an IDC in it, inside the box. Like, maybe, maybe. they open I don't it. Know. Sure. I'm, I'm grasping at straws, but I'm just really yeah, mad. Yeah, whatever. It's, I'm mad about the Sagan box. It's a negligible, stupid thing that happens in this episode at the end of the day. And yet I'm so mad about it. <laughs> okay, but uh, basically this episode ends with, uh, with Jacob saying, I'm going to translate something Somak wants to tell you. Don't call us, we'll call you. It's it's a, a, a dumb little sign off. Um, it makes sense because they're spies, <laughs> but yeah, they were going for that route and dead. It just it was such a weird fuckboy kind of thing to say, and I'm just like, was that really necessary? Yeah, like I get because they're spies, but it's like you you know that don't call us, we'll call you is usually a dismissal, right? Right. I was like, did okay. did Glaster not remember that when he wrote that line? Right. Man, I'm just really sad that Terry Chris. Fox and write this so I could say fuckboy Terry. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's just like, okay, fuckboy Jacob, good to know. Yeah, I guess. Peace. But that's that's the end of the episode. I hate wrap-ups, because they're always just never quite right. No. Because you had a really good story in this, somehow in this garbage first part and pretty decent second part, you actually crafted a nice little story there. Yeah. But you had to wrap it up real quick, and... Just like a cold open, it can go either way. <laughs> and yeah. I just, I hate these ones where, uh, oh, here we go. I love how much I can use jokes from American Dad. But I love it because he'll be talking about my debutante, my debutante ball, my debutante balls. Oh, went too far. <sighs> it's that moment where the scene just kind of goes, the wrap-up just goes a little too far. That line was that moment where you're like, oh, nope, that moment you should have stopped was right before. <laughs> right before yeah. that line. <laughs> they thought it was going to be a cute sign-off, and instead it was a... Okay. I'm really considering now starting a screen cap collection for every episode, just one of Lissa's faces. <laughs> Alright, so uh, we're going to wrap it up as well. Uh, so, let's see. Nobody on SG-1 died. Sam kind of tried. She tried to put herself in a dangerous situation. It just didn't work because of the half-hearted <laughs> Everyone was in a dangerous situation. <laughs> you know what I mean. I was making a dig at the attempt at suspense there. Okay. Uh, I mean, her her moment of suspense was the best moment of suspense in, in this episode, so. No, I meant the uh, suspense of uh, maybe Sam will die. When she's, you know, with Oh, with oh under the caves. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. that one of suspense. Yeah, yeah. Got it. All right. So, all right. I, I think I already know the answer to this one, but uh, are you a Jack or a Daniel today? Well, seeing as how Daniel wasn't in this episode, I will say right? I was a Jack. <laughs> Literally the same thing. I'm like, well, Daniel wasn't in this episode. But also, there were several moments in the episode that we just watched where I would write a note 
And then Jack would say the exact same thing I just wrote. So, like, the whole part where they're like, yeah, we're keeping you here. And I was like, oh, yeah, you sure you, sure you guys aren't gold? And then Jack right afterwards is like, sounds pretty gold to me. I was like, dang, Jack. <laughs> he was your sarcastic spirit animal this episode. Yes, yes. There were several times I wrote notes and he said the exact same thing afterwards. So I'm definitely a Jack, not just because Daniel's not in this episode. <laughs> I mean, I'm mostly a jack in this because I'm also secretly in love with uh, Sam Carter, so. That's fair. Uh, so, Joaquin Phoenix. Thumbs up. Yeah, same. I think they did a great job making up for for the first episode. <laughs> I'm just gonna sum it up in one word. Yep. Yep. It was a good episode. Uh, so, that is it for this week. Next week, we're gonna watch episode 13, Spirits. Yay! I'm looking forward to it. Like I said before, I don't, I I never have any like firm memories of spirits, but I always remember liking it. It's it's a unique experience kind of episode, I think. I remember it as being one of the uh, outside of Star Trek. I didn't really have a lot of examples of Native American representation on TV. Mm-hmm. Just didn't see a lot. Um, yeah. I pretty much only think I had, like, Chakotay from Star Trek Voyager. I and, that, and, Voyager. and I really don't think a lot of people would say he was he was the most accurate representation either. Yeah. Um, but, like, I'm thinking about it now, I can't help but I have a little bit of trepidation in me. <laughs> because we have seen them cast correctly yes. before. And I do remember Spirits being a very specific kind of episode because it's meant to introduce uh, Trinium, I think, as a concept in the show. So uh-huh. it, was to, it was supposed to be important. So if I remember it correctly, through the right lens, I think... It's a good episode through and through. Yeah. I just, I just remember the guy being so soft and happy when he talks to them. Mm-hmm. Really hoping it doesn't backfire on me. Hopefully. We'll, we'll see. Oh, hopefully not. Uh, but until then, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at ItSmellNotLiss or our podcast Twitter at PointOfOriginPC. You can also email us at PointOfOriginCast at gmail.com or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole. Or I guess send through the Bagan box if you want. Can you imagine the annoyance of having to give them a new box every time, too? Yeah! Bagan boxes don't grow on trees, children. (laughs) You can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for joining us on our incursion through the iris. And until next time, 